Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. This is the quote I'm going to do. Okay. Just because I think it's the funniest one to modify. It's podcasts. He smells like podcasts, and the smell gets stronger when he's in heat. <laughs> oh, my God. Right? Because I was looking at other options, and I was like, you got to remember, Sparky, no matter what they tell you, you can never have too much podcast. But that's not as funny as implying that Michael the Angel smells like podcasts, and it gets worse when he's the hornier heat. he is. <sighs> It also, though, this is weirdly a movie lacking in uh, punchline-y kind of humor, wouldn't you it, say? I, I I was looking up. I was trying to find as much context on this movie as I could. It was very hard. So I mostly yeah. was just reading reviews from the time because I was trying to find, like, where did this movie come from? How did it come into existence? Everything about it is strange. And there was one review, not that it's exclusive to this movie, but it really applies here, that described it as... Uh, Nora Ephron's new wafer-thin comedy. Oh. <laughs> Bam. Bam. <laughs> and there are things that I like about this movie, but the comedy itself is certainly wafer-thin. Like, the best, mm. the biggest joke in this movie is a... <laughs> oh it God. is. It's weird. It's weird. Is, is it... Do you think she was trying... Like, that's the thing. I also, there's no context on this movie, and I feel like it there's just not, mostly I got forgotten. any... But, like, do you think it's, like, she's trying to do, like, kind of a 40s Bing Crosby kind of, you know so. what I mean? Like, that more gentle sort of, you know, road trippy comedy that's just, like, pals, and then there's a weird supernatural element. I'm, I'm giving her this. It feels entirely intentional. It's not like this movie is going for laughs it doesn't get, and it no. has a very different tone and vibe than any of her other films. So also, I think, have you guys yeah. watched uh, Everything Is Copy, the documentary on HBO? I need to watch it. You're making me feel dumb and unprepared. But oh do they no, talk no, no, about no! Michael? Please don't. I wanted to be. I wanted to be a good guest, so I did. I did hey. watch that, and I will yep. say that during the montage when they're like, and she had a few clunkers along the way. They hmm. do show things like mixed nuts. They show yeah. hanging up, which she co-wrote with her sister. I want to yes. say. Yeah. They show zero clips of Michael. So Michael was not good enough to make the clunker montage but and everything is copied. this is what's fucking weird about this. Most of it, her career... It, it was a hit. That's right. the thing. Most of her career was this alternation between hit, flop, hit, flop, yes. hit, flop. Like almost perfectly calibrated. Like she makes a perfect Nora Ephraim rom-com. Then she makes a movie that's a little caustic. That one flops and she goes mm. back to the well. Like whatever mm. it is. This is the weird one in the middle. Right. Where it's not, a big not hit well and it has no reputation. And not remembered. Right. Bad reviews, but, no cultural tale. It made almost $100 million. <laughs> Was that just Pulp Fiction runoff, you think? Okay, this is the context we have to talk about here. Because I don't yeah. think we've ever talked about Johnny Travs on this show. Have we? Um, I am have looking through his filmography to think of when he would have crossed paths with us. I, I, there's so much to talk about with Johnny Travs. Exactly. Like, so I think that's uh, our context for this episode. Because Johnny T has not come up. Introduce the podcast, introduce our guests while I comb through the filmography just to make sure we've never had it. I guess we haven't. Right? Wow. Hello, everybody. This is a podcast entitled Blank Check with Griffin and David. I am Griffin. I'm David. 
David looks resigned as he scrolls through no, Travolta's well, IMDb look, page. Scrolling through his IMDb page might make your, you know, make you look a little resigned. I'm sorry yes. to say it. There are some heavy sighs within there. Yeah. Uh, it's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their career and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear and sometimes they bounce. Baby, this is a mini series on the films of Nor Efron. It is called You've Got Podcast. And oh, today yeah. we're talking about Michael, inexplicably one of her highest grossing films. And our guest today is doing such a great job, not only speaking before he was introduced, but also he was miming along with every part of the introduction. He rocked a baby. <laughs> I'm a bouncing. Oh, you it's have to sweet. do visual bits on Zoom. They're for us. It. That's just for it. us. Well, actually, it's being recorded, so it could yeah. be for everybody. Uh, he's one of the best in the biz. A podcasting luminary. Uh, but not, not for luminary, famously. Not for luminary. No. Famously. Not yet. Shut up. <laughs> Luminaries yet. coming up. Yeah. Everyone has a price. <laughs> They're going to come a knocking. Uh, you know, I'm from Good Christian Fun and Inside Voices and Gilmore Guys and Mazel Goys. Yeah, that's right. Nailed it. Kevin T. Porter, ladies hey, and gentlemen. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. What a the, fun time. The great Kevin, Ke- Kevin T. Porter. I almost said no, Tevin, Tevin Key Quarter. Tevin Key Quarter. That. That's uh, absolutely fine. Now, here's a fun fact. You and I had followed each other on Twitter and had been friendly. We finally, I feel like, broke the threshold and became friends uh, like a week before the pandemic. Hit. COVID Eve, I would say. Yes. It was right. like I was the last time I was in New York, which was beginning of March. And Griffin was so nice to come on Inside Voices. And we met up and had a nice time and had a nice little walk afterwards. And then two weeks later, everything ended forever. Right. Um, and then it felt like a nice last hurrah. It was a really nice time. You literally <laughs> flew out of New York on March 11th, March 12th. Well, I, I was, I was, I traveled a lot on the East coast during that time, unfortunately. So I was in New York, went to Philly, came back to New York, went down to Washington, DC, then flew out of there on March like 9th and then came back to Los Angeles. Wow. So I could have, should have maybe had something I did not. Thankfully. Yeah. You got very lucky. I um, got, I got, you got mail and I got very lucky. Yeah. But then since then we've been like talking more, uh, during this. Yeah. Uh, you've been a nice distant friend to have, uh, yeah. socially distant friend to have. Uh, and it's it's exciting that we could get you on this episode. This felt like a really I was looking at the schedule and I was like, this feels like a good fit. Oh, I'm so honored by it. I mean, this show has meant so much to me personally. I've, I've listened to this show for a very long time. I'm a big fan. I hope you guys always feel flattered when like the guests you have on the show are actually listeners and are fans. I feel like that's kind of rare for a show. I, resent I feel like that it. happens a lot with Blank Check. I deeply resent it. You resent it. Oh, no. I resent oh, my it. Gosh. I resent it. No, I'm kidding. I'm flattered. Oh, okay. But I did I did your podcast, Good Christian Fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we talked about Left Behind, the Nicolas Cage remake of a, uh, a biblical. Um, I've never uh, seen that. Is, um, it bad. Uh, yeah. Good. Is Cage in a lot of it or is Cage kind of sprinkled in? Like. How much well, cage? Yes and no. He's a yeah. little bit like Bob Hoskins and Michael, where he's got a number of <laughs> scenes, but they all take place with him sitting in the exact same chair. Yeah, okay. Okay. Right. So they were like, acting. Nick, it's it's a week of your life or and you won't have to do anything. But mm-hmm. right. Right. He's pretty much just in a cockpit the entire movie and he only interacts with three other actors, except for one scene he has in the food court of an airport that is definitely JFK. 
is so right. clearly JFK. They clearly shot in New York for real, and you know it because there's a little placard on his table that says, Welcome to JFK, New York City. Yeah. <laughs> it was, um, I think it was Louisiana that they shot in for yes. real. Um, because Nicolas Cage lives in Louisiana, and I think he has some sort of tax break there. But the point is, was was talking that movie with you on mm-hmm. on your show where you talk about films that are like explicitly Christian, like sort yes. of faith based films, faith based entertainment, which I think is uh, is uh, one of the more fascinating genres of film going right now. And well, this is this will be fun for all you box office mojo heads out mm-hmm. there. There was one faith based movie. That the weekend right before or like right during lockdown did extraordinarily well. I still believe. I still believe did extraordinarily well, which is like almost a very damning box office statistic because it means like the Venn diagram overlap of people who want to see I still believe and also believe that COVID was fake news was kind of one for one. (laughs) I appreciate you saying that because I can't say it as a Jew. You can say um, whatever you want, bud. That's I the will one say, with KJ Apa, I believe. Yes. KJ well, I know, Apa, I know, I know Archie is in it. Archie and who he is yes. playing what's his pants, the, the singer who yeah. has this tragic story or whatever, right? What's his I, name? His Jeremy Camp is his name. His that's wife his name. passed that's his name. away. Yes, and Shania Twain is in the movie for oh, some wow. reason. But also Britt Robertson, who yes. had gone the Allison Loman path, where I'm like, is she just gone? Like, I know. Did did Hollywood just rule like now that you can't play 16 year olds anymore, you're out? Like, you know, which is what happened to Allison Loman. Oh, like man. she Allison Loman played teenagers till she was like 28 or whatever. Yeah. And then Hollywood was like, wait, the, the charade is over and wow. you're out. Just bringing but, up Allison Loman's name. I mean, White Oleander, get at yeah. me. I Mash love Allison. Loman. She yeah. got a raw wow. deal, you know. But Loman, I feel like but Britt Robertson. Married, was it Neville Dean or Taylor? She married one of the crank guys. And the only movie she's appeared in in the last 10 years are a couple cameos in their movies. Ne- Neville Dean. She married, she married Neville, Neville Dean. Neville. And she, she had kids and maybe, you crank. know, she she partly had the sort of like, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to semi-retire and, you know, yeah. do something else. The the other uh, one who falls into that category, although she has continued working, but the how long has she been a teenager exactly? And I was looking this one up last night. Brittany Snow, who mm. like by the time that she appears at Pitch Perfect and I'm like, you're going on your second decade of playing a high school or college age person. Right, right. But th- the thing that blew my mind is she's 34 now. Right, she's like my age, right. She was <laughs> 15 in American Dreams. There's some of those, of, right. Because That's of like how the Keira Knightley thing where she's right. like technically 31 now. So she right. was like 15 in Love Actually yeah. or whatever it is. Ben and like Beckham, she's really young. Like, you're right. Love yeah. Actually, right. she's playing older. Like, right. that's, that's the weird thing with her. Right? So it fucks with you. And Claire like, when Ameri- Yes. When yeah. American Dreams was on TV, I was like, this must be a 27-year-old playing a 15-year-old. <laughs> so by the time she gets to Pitch Perfect, I'm like, shouldn't she be 40 now? But in fact, she was still like 25. Mm-hmm. Some anyway, people are like that. Anyway, here's a man who has never aged, who has looked exactly the same his entire career. John, John Travolta. Travolta! He's got My that good classic friend. youthful glow. <laughs> Goodness gracious. I know. <sighs> I, I mean, John I, Travolta. I, no, go ahead, Kevin. But it's just like just five say, comebacks. Yes. Yeah, that's the thing. And right? I feel like I'm only that familiar with like post pulp stuff. 
I don't feel like I've really dove into like any of the Saturday Night Fever or Blow Up or any of like what the '70s was for Travolta. Well, let's let's all. take a little tour through right. Travolta. I think we let's must. Take we must. Stroll. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna try. Griffin, can you let me at least get like and and then? But like, I'm gonna try and lay it out every okay. peak and valley okay. very quickly. Okay, obviously becomes well known on the TV show Welcome Back, Cotter. Right, mm-hmm. that's his original. Oh, yeah. And then from there, you've got, you know, right during Welcome Back, Cotter, he's in Carrie. He's in Saturday Night Fever. He's in Greece. His and, hair looks normal. Okay. <laughs> and like, you know, he he's a good dancer. He's a good singer. He's like, you know, kind of like he's an attractive guy. Like he's sort of a style icon. Like, I mean, talk, you know, right out of the gate, huge star Oscar nomination while he's still on a sitcom. But let's just say also incredibly fast transition from sitcom star to doing TV movies to legitimate movie star with an Oscar nomination, like a rapid. Right. It's all happening right at the same time. And then in the eighties, the rap on him is, ah, he blew it. Even though he's in blowout, which is a great movie, but uh, wasn't a hit. He's seen as a bomb. Right. And then he's in, you know, actual bombs like staying alive and two of a kind and perfect that are all kind of like, well-known bombs, like early Razzie faves, right? Would you say, Griffin? Especially staying yes, alive. absolutely. And also, in 1978, he makes the straightest film of all time, moment by moment, where he and Lily <laughs> Tomlin love each other. Str- where he plays Strip Harrison. Yes. Uh, and by also, way, looking uh, at the filmography on Wikipedia, because there are so many multiple films that he's done per year, it does look like... It looks like the Bruce Willis is making uh, movies for Russians that you've never heard of phase of someone's career because there's Absolutely. so many hey, already. Hey, Kevin, Kevin, yeah. we will get there. It okay. will get there and um, it'll hit us hard. Terrific. I forgot to mention Urban Cowboy in the early, which which was a huge movie of, the, of that That's movie. That's 1980. Like so it's really after 1980, he hits yes, a fallow exactly. period. Exactly. And then so, and he barely makes movies, honestly. And then in 1989, he makes Look Who's Talking and everyone is like, Travolta's back. The comeback, baby. He made it. He's back. People love it. It's a hit. I appreciate you saying this because I feel like people talk about Pulp Fiction as if it rescued him from total obscurity. Now, maybe Look Who's Talking wasn't respected, but those first two movies are humongous hits. They were huge, and it was definitely at the time seen as a comeback. But because of he barely makes other stuff except for Look Who's Talking sequels, quickly, I think... It's another dip. It's like, no, all right, no, that, that I guess that didn't take. Totally. And I'm looking Pulp at this Fiction. filmography. How do you do Look Who's Talking in 89 and then Look Who's Talking 2 in 90? Yeah. What is hey, that man. production? They were just like, they were just like yeah. get to the, 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 you need to give me a script in three days. <laughs> there better be another talking baby in it. But like Wayne's World is like that too. Like you look at certain comedy sequels, they used to just be like, we cannot let this thing rest. Like Scary Movie 2 comes out nine months after the first Scary Movie. Wow. It's crazy. But yes, he pumps out three Look Who's Talkings. The first two are big hits. The third one is not. He looks like he blew it again. Uh, Exactly. All right. All right. So then Pulp Fiction, obviously... You know, obviously a huge comeback Oscar nom. He's cool again. Like, who would have thought? And there's just that whole narrative of like Tarantino saw this in him and no one else. Do you know what I mean? They had to talk him into it and he didn't want to do it. Um, And then he really has a run because it's like get shorty the next year. Michael and Phenomenon in 96, not well reviewed, but are both big box office hits. He also has Broken Arrow in 96. As is Broken Arrow, which was not as huge of a box office hit, but like did well. And then Face Off in 97, which obviously rules. Surrounded by two kind of semi-flops, Mad City and She's So Lovely, 
But like you can survive those if totally. you're doing a hit a it, year. If and you then, have and a face off, yes. I would say in 98, I mean, gets great reviews for Primary Colors, which is not a hit, but is well yeah. received. Mm-hmm. And also for a civil action, which kind of gets ignored, but is a good, like solid, mm. you know, cable kind of movie. And was a solid on base hit, not a blockbuster, I think so. but a hit. And yeah. I would pops also up. like to point out a civil action is about my hometown. <laughs> Ooh. Is it? Oh, yes, it is. I, I yeah. love that movie. I'm a huge fan of a civil action. It's Much in like the way that uh, Mad Max Fury Road is about Ben's hometown. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and this movie is about my hometown, Heaven. <laughs> As Randy sings in the opening credits. And the place that you, only you will get to go, Kevin. That's right. Out yeah. of the five of us. <laughs> but then he does he does his little pop-in in, uh, in uh, Thin, Thin Red, Red Line. Line. And and then in 99, honestly, General's Daughter was also a huge hit. Like people just, yeah. it's just that those movies are mostly forgotten because they're not very good, but they were hits. Made a hundred million dollars. Yes. And then 2000, Battlefield Earth, Lucky Numbers. <sighs> it's like, that's when it starts. And then like Swordfish does okay. But like that movie, think of Travolta and Swordfish. That's where it's like, what is, what does he think the his screen patch, image is? Right. <laughs> yeah, like, mm. like wh- how, what is he doing to manage his appearance here? Because it's, it's just getting weirder. He's first build in that movie, but that movie becomes a hit and helps Hugh Jackman and Halle Berry. It does not help him. Everyone walks out of that being like one Halle Berry, obviously. Right. And then I would say, right. Two is like that Jackman guy is, you know, he's charming. Right. Travolta's getting I- leapfrogged. The beep, no, the, it's beyond that though. The beat on Travolta, I think, walking out of Swordfish is like, what's going on with him? <laughs> like, what's this now? <laughs> right. Cause like you still have, like, I think Ladder 49 w- was sort of an on base hit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Love but song then once for Bobby again, Long, not so much. Punisher again, villain feels like a downgrade. I was going to say, he's Jeez. sort of playing support for younger movie stars. Like, yeah. I feel like uh, Ladder 49 is a hit, but people are more like, Joaquin. You know, uh, and then yes. him playing yes, the Punisher villain definitely. in like the artisan Marvel movie rather yeah, than no. like a big studio right. Marvel movie. Like, all of this is weird. Basic is a bomb, be, you said. Be yeah. cool. Yeah, basic is a bomb. Be cool. It's like you're going back to the get shorty well 10 years later. And like, and those two movies are fascinating because it's like, if you didn't, if he wasn't called Chili Palmer and you didn't tell me he was, this was a sequel to Get Shorty, you could watch both those movies and not really know they're related, right? Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin's having some virtual background. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just wanted a a nice lady on screen as well. Kevin changed his background to Margot Martindale. I also just want to say David's background is a photo of Michael standing in the field with the dog. But because of the positioning of his head, it looks like there are wings coming out of David's head. Which which I kind of appreciate. I think it's kind of fun. You should do Be Cool. We could do that franchise, Griffin, for the Patreon. I mean, you know who else is in Be Cool is Robert Pastorelli. Yes, his final film. Michael. His final movie, Travolta brought him back. But that's, this is where things get kind of wild because you go, okay, Be Cool 2005. He's trying to make a sequel to Get Shorty, but also evoke Pulp Fiction by bringing Uma into the fold. Mm. Everyone rejects it. You go, Travolta's cooked. He's never coming back, right? And then you hear, vroom, 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 vroom. (laughs) I was born, born to be wild. <laughs> and so I we're calling Wild Hogs comeback number three, right? Would you agree? Four? Four? Four, maybe. Like yeah. and 
it's it's funny because it definitely is a comeback because after that you have hairspray ball taking upon one two three old dogs right like those are all like you know big studio releases wild hogs and hairspray both come out within same year right like six months right. of each other four months of each other and both make hundreds of millions of dollars right right um and then I feel like it's just sort of at that point it's like obviously he's he's too old you know and right well because then it's like right showing up and you're from Paris from Loves and you're savages where you're like what's what are you doing that's the weird thing good in Bolt I never saw Bolt he's not particularly good in Bolt I'm not a big fan of Bolt he's a dog I think Savages (laughs) falls a little John Travolta (laughs) I think Savages falls into the path he should have taken which is like take the smaller role be more of a character actor he's pretty good in Savages and also he's not wearing a wig Mm mm-hmm I mean yes. the hair stuff. Right. How much? How much do you think the hair changed the trajectory of his career? I think it's that thing where it's like <laughs> it's not just the hair, but he starts adjusting everything around it. Where like his eyebrows are dyed, and he's okay. like pancaked in makeup. Even when you see him like on talk show appearances, and he just stops looking like a human being. He just did the thing where he couldn't accept it, but instead of just sort of like I don't know, doing the Bruce Willis thing of like, all right, I'm mostly bald now, or you know, like yeah. he's just like. I don't know. He like turned to ever more radical and confusing <laughs> efforts to sort of like, like it only just gets. And I mean, his main issue is that he didn't do what he should have done, which is just like, I'm going to transition to being a full time character actor, supporting Savages. roles. I think Savages yeah. is not a great movie, but he's good. In it, and that's the model of what he should have kept on. And, doing. Well, can, and, can, and I, like, can I nominate like a low key, maybe fifth comeback role? It's not low key. And I'm sure I know what you're about to say. Robert Shapiro on people yes. versus that. Yeah, yeah, that's another window like, in which he should have perfect. ran with the ball. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's Holy. exactly it though. You're like, great. Here he's figured it out. He's gonna be like Nailed big it. popping characters, supporting roles, and you're gonna be like, man, Travolta, what a wild man. You know, like he yeah, should, you know, kind of do the cage thing. You know, right? right? And his he, former co-star. Here are the titles of his immediate follow-ups to American Crime Story. What should have been Gracious. his final comeback performance to take him into the final stage of his career? His follow-ups are I Am Wrath, Gotti, Speed mm. Kills, RIP Trading well, It does. Griffin, paint. it does kill. It, it is true. It speed does kill. Trading Paint, The Poison Rose, a Pitbull music video, and Fred Durst film The Fanatic, in which he plays the character <sighs> Moose. Which I got a screener, FYC screener DVD for, and I, I was like, Travolta paid for me to get this right, like you know, it was one of those things where I'm like, oh Jesus. Um, and he Speed got the Razzie nomination. Kill. Speed does kill. I will and say, like, I I know someone who worked on a film with him around this time, and I asked yeah. about the hair, and it was a a a bald director, okay, who worked with Travolta showing up on set mm-hmm. or showing up for rehearsals with the wig, and he was like. I just knew the wig was so bad. Like, it's so low quality. He's got that one wig he uses all the time that looks like a Pomeranian. You know what I'm yes. saying? Yeah, Yes, I do. With, with the little fringe on the side. And he oh, was yeah. like, Kevin has now changed his background to <laughs> Moose from the fanatic choking somebody. Um, <laughs> Love that line. Oh, it looks great. Um, <laughs> oh, gracious. But he was like, my thing was, we will pay from the budget to get you a better wig. We will get you a wig that suits your character more. We understand it if you don't want to be bald and he wouldn't acknowledge the conversation. 
Huh. Like, it was like my one goal was trying to get him to agree to, can we make you a good character wig? And mm-hmm. he kept on saying, like, I don't know what we're talking about. This is my real hair. Right. So there's just, it's just like a locked room and there's just no way inside or something. <laughs> right. Like, like <laughs> he's now, barricaded it and it's just totally. like, right. There is one aspect to his career we have not um, touched upon, which is his uh, musical output. Uh, he did put out a Christmas album with Olivia Newton-John in 2012 called This Christmas. And it's him and Olivia Newton-John from Grease fame back together again doing Baby It's Cold Outside, This Christmas, Deck the Halls. And there's a pretty wild music video for at least one of those songs. I, I remember right. that video. It's incredible. The other video I suggest people watch, uh, of course, in this period of time, uh, John Travolta makes my favorite cursed film, Old Dogs, which is currently my Zoom background. Yes. And there's a music video for that. He does a cover of Bobby Brown's Every Little Step uh, with his daughter, Ella Blue Travolta. And that video is absurd. Wait, is Old Dogs Out <laughs> supposed to be rated R and then it was recut to PG? There are many rumors about what went wrong with Old Dogs and none of them fully make sense, but all of them kind of make sense. Hogs and Dogs, man. Hogs he should have gone on that lane. It was the re-team. He was supposed to do Wild Hogs 2 after Old Dogs. And Old Dogs was such a disaster, they canceled Wild Hogs 2. Um, mm. But there's one other element of Travolta we have not talked about here, which is his faith on subject with this film, that Ooh. he was for so long Hollywood's second most prominent Scientologist. He and Cruz were like the two pillars. And despite Cruz having like a rockier period of like just real turmoil, he has been able to sort of stabilize more, whereas Travolta never really recovers and everything that's weird about him now does feel like that oh he's in a scientology bubble do you think that's because travolta made a film explicitly inflected by scientology like battlefield earth and cruz never really did one i I think that's part of it i think cruz was for a very long time very savvy about not bringing his religion to the forefront and then it was that one disastrous War of the Worlds press tour where it kept on coming up, where the videos leaked out, where he called Matt Lauer glib. Glib, you're being glib, Matt. Right. And like Travolta always kind of like was a little too horny for Scientology on Maine. <laughs> y- you yes. Know? Yes. Right. Right. And right. Nick Kroll has a bit I've seen him do where he talks about like, it's crazy. You look at tom cruise and he talks about how like scientology helped him unlock himself and he is the most high functioning person in the world and then you look at john travolta it, it's so weird with travolta because i feel like you do always kind of have to talk around so much like innuendo with him like and, yes. and it's not like i know things that i can't reveal it's more just like there's so many different kinds of innuendo with him like you definitely hear that he's kind of a weird guy to work with but then also he's worked with like a lot of great directors Yes. Um, many of whom have employed him multiple times. It's not like, you know, he's one and done with these people. Like he works with Nora mm-hmm. Ephron again. I, I will and say this about people I know who have worked with him. Consummate professional. Like what yeah. I have heard is that guy he comes on set. He treats everyone so nicely. He works so hard. You understand why he's a movie star. It, which, which is what you sense. hear about Cruz as well. Is totally, that he's totally. very nice yes. to everybody. Cruz is yeah. like a politician. Like, I mean, Cruz, right. that guy feels <laughs> like an app. No, I mean, I've interacted. I mean, he is like an A-list politician type yeah, yeah. where it's like, you just feel like you could say anything to him and it would just bounce off of him and he'd smile at you and ask you a right. question <laughs> that made you feel like included or whatever. But 
Travolta, it makes sense because he's been in the biz his whole life, basically, mm-hmm. his whole adult life. He's a dancer and singer, which requires a lot of professionalism. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that requires you being able to, like, practice and work and hit your marks and all that. And I, but, and I feel like he does have an eye for scripts, but then you do hear the stuff like the Pulp Fiction thing where he's like, well, I can't do that because he takes heroin and he has to be talked into it. Whereas, like, you'd think, anyone would read that script and be like, he wants me for this. I I'm in like, this is a good script. Like I'll do it. Yeah. It's also one of those things where like so many movie stars, when they're in their, their crappiest films, their I am wraths, their trading paints, their speed kills is when they're doing press for them. You're like, God, this is like gun to their head. They're clearly embarrassed about this movie. They're lying through their teeth. And every time Travolta promotes a movie, I'm like, I believe he thinks this is the best film he's been in. Right. I and I, well, it's just interesting. All this movie is very, very interesting in the Travolta arc. It's uh, basically how in the many of how many Nora movies have you guys recorded thus far? By the way, we've recorded we've done, everything up until up this, this point. We've done yeah, this. Right. Yes. Oh, chronological. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now, how, for for producer Ben, have we thrown out the name Ben and Women Can't Be Friends? Oh fuck! No, we, we have not, and I love that. We great. haven't. Yeah, it's pretty and great. That might be the winner, Kevin. Damn! Hey, terrific! <sighs> Happy to help the team. It was either that or Lucky Numbends. <laughs> Ooh, ah, uh, it's Whoa. neck and neck between the two. I <laughs> can feel it already. It's gonna be a squeaker. Um, I mean, I'm looking. This is all right. Okay, it's not exactly halfway in his career because he's made way more movies on the back half of his career because mm-hmm. he makes mm-hmm. so much shit now. But don't you, you? I'm right, right? In terms of years, this is really a midpoint. And it's like he's still being used in this movie as a sex symbol, but he mm-hmm. is the more older, broad kind of John Travolta who's kind of stocky looking now, not like the live, you know, young, fit John Travolta. Well, this is weirdly him playing against type. By stretching to play what Travolta becomes 10 years later. If that makes sense. <laughs> well, and it is interesting to think of him as like a, as an object of desire, sexuality in the movie. Yeah. Especially maybe like the era that he comes from. And you do wonder how much of that is informed by like, oh yeah, back when Nora Ephron was growing up, like like kind of weird looking guys were the sex symbols and kind of like thicker guys and people with, you know, more right, than sure. 2% body fat. So, but, so you but do I was wonder if that's say, part of the calculation. I was trying to like frame this in my head, but the scene where he appears for the first time and you see him mm-hmm. shirtless and his boxers mm-hmm. walk through the kitchen. Right. He's really doughy in that. And I accepted it because that's what Travolta kind of looks like now. Right. But then I realized he probably gained weight for this role. Like, yeah. he was more lithe in the films before and after this. He always was a slightly stockier guy. He was never a real thin guy. But, like, I think he gained a little weight for this. I think they specifically wanted the reveal of, look at it, this guy's kind of a slob. You know? Hmm. Like, he was sort of pushing himself out of the sex symbol zone, even though everyone wants to fuck Michael. Part uh, yeah, of the joke of this movie is he looks, like, kind of shitty. Well, I, I thought he was already kind of looking like that by Pulp already. So I feel yeah. like Pulp was almost him announcing himself as like, oh, don't worry, I can look like shit now and it's <laughs> fine. So I feel, I, like, I feel like Michael's an extension of that in some ways. I will say, I'm just, I'm mainly thinking of Pulp Fiction where there's like, they have to strip down Remember mm-hmm. him and Sam yeah, Jackson yeah. and they get sprayed or whatever. You know, he has the same basic build. He had the big Okay, build. fair enough, fair right, enough. Right, right. 
I, I always think about my mom uh, uh, dislikes John Travolta, would never want to go see John Travolta movies. And she, whenever I was like, that movie looks good. She'd be like, I don't like John Travolta. He's sure. so, he's so bovine. Oh my God. <laughs> that Mrs. is a Newman. tough I know, right? on <laughs> fucking Travolta, man. That is tough. Doesn't but he sit. actually play a cow in a movie though? Oh, and fuck, he fights a cow first in this cow. movie. First cow, it just came he out. He fights a cow Ange. in this movie. <laughs> no, it's yes. like yeah. cow, the animated cow movie. <laughs> no, he's What's not in called? Home on the Range, if that's what you're asking. Do, oh, doesn't he just like look like that cow? Yes. <laughs> oh, even it's worse. Not even, I want to make it clear. No, it's I'm, like a I'm, meme. I'm not making a size joke here. I There's something about his face that is weirdly cow-like to me. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be the, his lips, maybe. His lips have always been I mean, big. this is bordering on I feel bad, but I'm also just not getting over what a brutal hit bovine is. Oh, my mom like, bodied John Travolta. She folded him like laundry. No, no one says that. It's no. not like he, she said like, oh, he's ugly or I, yeah, he's, you know, like, no, she, I was she, like she had such eight. a specific word. That was her explanation for like not taking us to go see Michael. I remember wanting to see this movie and she was like, I can't stand him. He's so bovine. I'm realizing then, the movie I was thinking of was called Barnyard, and oh. Otis the Cow is, in fact, voiced by Kevin James. Kevin James. The cast also includes Courtney Cox, Sam Elliott, and Danny Glover. Yeah, and that's on one best picture. IMDb. That's awesome. <laughs> and one best picture. We yeah. all remember that. Barnyard, the out. original party animals. Brokeback Mountain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's more like <laughs> Barnback Mountain. Terrific. I don't know. Now, uh, with Nora Ephron context, I know there's so little to go on Mm -hmm. for this specific movie but like what's our take on her thus far because i'll say for me i've seen the big boys i've seen sleepless in seattle when harry met sally you've got mail i did watch julie and julia for the first time ever because it was on netflix and i watched that a couple nights ago just to kind of get a a, a kind of a more clear vision of, of who she is and what she's about but it does seem like a apart from those that her career is very spotty Okay, her first movie rules, which we discovered. Silkwood does. Uh, yeah, uh, well, that, her first film she directed. Part. This is my life. Oh, okay, gotcha. which is about a single mother stand-up starring uh, Marge Simpson. Holy. That one rules, but but it does feel like there's this thing because she started as a humorist, and uh, a lot of her pieces were more caustic and had a harder edge to them that she will try to make films with that sort of sense of humor and the public rejects them. And then she goes back to her souffle movies and she kind of does that better than anyone else. I do think watching these movies has made me appreciate her more as a technical filmmaker because it is so easy to focus on her writing because her voice is so specific Mm -hmm. and her voice was so specific as a, a screenwriter before she even was directing films. But like, I, I think this is a fairly well-directed movie. Like, I, I, I like the I aesthetics of Michael a lot. There, There's I, one scene in, in terms of, like, uh, I generally agree with both of you, but I, I do think there's one scene early on in the movie where the three of them are on the road, and there's, mm-hmm. like, these very strange cuts to the exterior of the car and very loud, blaring country music, and not one it's, of Andy It's McDowell's when they're explaining songs. the history of Sparky, yeah. the dog, right? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's the one. That was like, whoa, what is going on? But I will say, like, from the documentary, uh, and not to make this more about me in any way, but, like, I was, I was so struck by parallels to... 
Amy Sherman Palladino sure. for some of this stuff sure. in terms of like a, a very kind of like brash, unapologetic woman who yeah. idolizes Dorothy Parker and cares more about, um, you know, the work than people's feelings and people like going on record in the documentary like, yeah, she was pretty mean, <laughs> you know, and she like softened out over time and with age right. and stuff. Sure. But, sure. but I was struck by that in, in terms of like some of the similarities with female right. authors. I, what? When the darker yeah. stuff comes into her career, it is honest. Like, it is a reflection of her personality. It's part of what's there for her. And I feel like she kept on trying to find the way to make that connect with an audience, and it didn't. And then this movie is, like, square in the middle between everything she does. Right. Yes. While not um, being wildly successful at any of those things. Right. Where, But not a total failure. But definitely, it kind of just, like lands weird this movie i don't know how else to put it right would you agree yes. with that i mean well, look, here's, kind of, is, is this a rewrite of someone else's script because so there's this, is the, on this it. is the other weird thing about her most of her films are that like despite the fact that she gets her film career started by like adapting her own novel mm -hmm. doing when harry met sally which is like you know rob reiner hiring her off of his premise uh silkwood which is an adaptation you know most of her films that she directs or she takes a script from someone else and, like, Nora-izes it. So even Sleepless in Seattle was like that, was developed by two other writers before she comes on and makes it her own. Michael's like that, too. She usually comes on with her sister, Delia Efron, who I realized in a previous episode I erroneously said was an original writer for SNL because she was part of that scene, and she's in all those books about SNL. She uh -huh. dated Michael O'Donoghue for a long time, but she was part of, like, the edgy 70s comedy scene, the Groundlings and all of that sort of shit. Um, but her and her sister come on and, like, take a pass at it. So I don't know where this script comes from, but I presume it was not incubated by them, that it was the first two writers who were credited, and then her and yeah. Delia came on and, and rewrote it. It's made by Turner Pictures. In the brief period of time where Ted Turner was, like, fully financing his own movies and then having New Line release them. The Megan before. Ellison of his time. Yes, but, like, <laughs> most of what he made at this time was, like, Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Because that was and then, his, like, cats don't those were dance. his interests. Right, right, right. right. Like the I like movies, Cats Don't Dance. I, I thought do that movie's terrific. And they don't dance, though. They, no. Conclusively. Uh, and we needed right. that movie to teach us that. But this movie is like a weird sort of like outlier in that. And it's the most successful one. And then Warner Brothers acquires Turner very shortly after and folds in and like... So you're like, so did he read this script and love it? Yeah. Did Nor read the script and bring it to Turner? Like, I can't find any answers about how this movie comes to be but it does feel like very specifically a 90s movie uh, like peak movie star where if john travolta wants to do it it's getting greenlit that's like the if, most 90s thing about it making right. over 100 mil at the box office totally. is like you could just slap from sleepless in seattle person and travolta's in it i'll right. see it. it's about a weird angel i don't right. care travolta was just in the pocket for like four years there where people pretty much went to see anything he did mm -hmm. and having the poster be like john travolta is michael having the the tv ads be like him at the bar dancing like that's all people needed to see <laughs> They also, the dog doesn't hurt either. The dog is always oh, certainly doesn't hurt. What <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously the dog is central to the movie, but the oh fact that have you seen that demented poster that's just yes. his Travolta's face, and then there's just Smiling. the dog in the corner, right? And then some like, feathers. Yeah, but like the, clearly they were just like the dog needs to be somewhere. Like I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> like, we're, we're just it's, we're, it's we're not weird. putting this poster out. 
but it's weird that the dog is like so centralized in the marketing campaign oh and gosh. then the movie is about this dog that they use as a marketing hook. <laughs> There's this weird meta element to how like forefront of the dog is and everything. But I remember, yes, I remember this being dog. a big movie where like, like as good as it gets, like Frasier, where it was just like the dog is all over the marketing. We're pushing yep. the dog hard. We're pushing the relationship He's an angel, but he's not a saint. I mean, that was the other thing. It was one of those like one sentence pitches in a way it. that was like John Travolta is an archangel, but he's like he drinks but beer and he smokes boy. cigarettes. He's a bad boy, which, which is, is like a fine really, premise. Yeah, it, but that's it's not a, really what the movie is. No, no. And yeah, I, I, I turned this on expecting it to not be a road trip. One. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Expecting him to have a more romantic uh, sort of part to play. Like, obviously, he is romantic in the movie. He's, as we say, in heat and smells like Uh cookies. But, like, he has no, he explicitly has no part, you know, no part to play in, like, a love triangle or anything like that. Well, the billing is also, the billing's weird on this movie because it's, like, above the title, huge John Travolta. Then William Hurt, Andy McDowell, a rung down from him. And then the title Michael, and then and Bob Hoskins. <laughs> so I was like, that's a weird billing block. And it's also weird for Annie McDowell and William Hurt at this point in their careers to be playing sidekicks to John Travolta in a movie. And then I watched this movie and it's, oh, Travolta's the sidekick. Like yes, Annie McDowell and William Hurt are absolutely the protagonists of the story. And like, this is a time when Hurt is really at a career low, right? Would you say? He's hurting to really He's hurting for sure. He's hurting. I mean, I feel like we talk about this in our Lost in Space episode. That movie's a couple years later. Yes. Um, But like, that's his whole 90s, basically. His leading man career is collapsing slowly. Yes. Yeah. And they they can't figure out what he's supposed to be now, right? Because he's like aged a little bit. He's still a handsome guy, but he kind of has like... How would you describe it? Like he has this sort of like boardroom feel. <laughs> like you know, he's is always he in, hot. Like, I can't tell if he's hot or not. I mean, in like I broadcast news, absolutely. Hot. I think this he's is the last yeah. time he's sort of conventionally hot in a movie. Mm. But, he, but he does have that thing. The older he gets, the more the asshole qualities come to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Like right, right, you look right. at broadcast news a decade earlier, and it's like, okay, here's a guy who's secretly a piece of shit, but he's so charming that everyone falls for it. And then this right. movie is the opposite, where it's like, this guy is such an asshole, I don't believe anyone would fall for him. There is something so off-putting about him. Unfortunately. Right, right, 100%. I don't yeah. get him. Also, the Andy McDowell conversation. Guys, I'm not sure about Andy McDowell. She, I've never been sure about her. She is so and this weird. Is, this is right after four weddings, right? Or it's two years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right? you have Groundhog Day in between. That's the important step. Wait, is Groundhog Day in between? Yes. Groundhog Day is 93. That's four 93. weddings and the funeral yeah, is 94. Michael oh, four, wow. is 96. Because four weddings is the one that she's objectively bad in. Haven't seen it. Only watched four the Hulu weddings version. <laughs> is, is the weird thing about four weddings is it's an ex- explicitly good movie. It's yeah. basically like a genre-changingly good movie. Agreed. With Mr. Bean! Classic With rom-com, Mr. Bean's bean. in it. A side of beans. But, well, and you love the setting, David. I, Wait, what's the setting? 
David Loves Weddings, but it, that's weird because... I believe it's in... Um, is it in London? Just just have have your fun. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I am wondering how the bit is strained via uh, Zoom. Oh, no, they <laughs> do it. To the, uh, they, <laughs> I guess you, it's, to it tends to happen quicker. I feel like it tends to just sort of like happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My point about... I'm grubbing Brit. What?! Oh my wow. god! Wow! Oh, is my this, point. Wow. Although, actually, I thought on Efron we were doing the reverse bit, where you knew I grew up in Britain. Well, I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I forgot about it too. No reason to apologize. But wait, what would we that can bit cut be? that out, right, David? What would that bit be? Uh, you know, I grew up in Britain, but you forgot that for my first nine years, I lived on the Upper West Side, Uptown Davy Sims. <laughs> That's the new bit. It's Uptown Davy Sims, and I keep forgetting it. Oh, now that actually is news to me. Yeah, that's uh, like that's great. A, a lot of people forget that part. Um, so is she? Is she good? But is I, no, she my good? Whole, I just want to finish my four weddings yeah. thought. It's like yes, yes, it's yes, crazy yes. how successful that movie is, considering that she is really bad in it. Really and bad. That's She's the like universal bad. It's one right. of those bizarre films. It's like the opposite of Hairspray, where it's a great movie that somehow even overcomes the central bad performance in a way where Hairspray, I think is great other than Travolta being misguided, but like Mm. every time he's on screen, it sticks out. If that makes sense. Right. Like four weddings in a funeral, you're watching scenes that hinge on the romantic chemistry between her and Hugh Grant. She is dropping the ball and the movie still works. That had been said, I think she's very good in Groundhog Day. Uh, yes, she's great in Groundhog Day. Kevin disagrees. I feel like there's another. I don't know. I don't know, guys. I find her charming in this sort of Southern mode, which she's in here, but I just feel like this movie does not know what her character is. Can we say what she is? Can we say what she is? Oh, Miss uh, Margaret Qualley's mommy? Well, she is, but I was going to say. That's true. When you're talking about her specific charm, she's she's a bargain store uh, Mary Steenburgen. Oh, 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 bargain right? store. Oh, bargain God. store. Could you at least say generic brand? Like okay. bargain She's store feels brand. like a Wait, real Steve thing. Burgeons, She's second tier. Is she a Southern Belle as well? I feel like totally. that's not. Steen Burgeon? I feel like oh, yeah. I don't think oh. about that when I think of Steen Burgeon. Uh, really? Mary, uh, now I need to look up where Mary Steen Burgeon is. Texas? Am I wrong about this? She I mean, you're probably right. Arkansas. I just, Arkansas. I don't think about that. Oh, interesting. She, she's an Arkansan. How do you Arkansan? Arkansan. Arkanian. Um, I think of her sweet, but I don't think of her Southern. That's so interesting. She's she's generic. Annie McDowell's generic brand. Uh, Mary Steenburgen. Whereas I think Steenburgen never misses. Annie McDowell's really hit and miss. She she is very hit or miss. She definitely. I mean. Hmm. I haven't seen. I mean, I think she's great in Sex Lies and Videotape, which Muppets is from I, Space. You know, we we all love that one. Perfect performance. Uh, I think she's great. She does she have an affair with Pepe in that movie? I don't recall. It's been a few years. Some human being, I think, is implied to have slept with Pepe the King Prawn in that film. I need to rewatch Muppets from Space. Kathy the only movie. What's that? Kathy Griffin makes out with Pepe. I'm That's sure. what it is. Oh, Kathy awesome. Griffin makes out with Pepe. I know my Muppets. <laughs> Two redheads. Wow. That really is life on the D-list. You got to make out with Pepe. <laughs> I can't Gracious. even make out with Pepe's Rolf. Um, I feel like I've only loved her, loved her. Magic, Magic Mike, Mike XXL. XXL. Yeah, she's great in that. I think she's fully great in that movie. She's great in that. She's sort of doing a better version of, she tried that a few other times, like in Beauty Shop, Griffin's favorite yeah, movie. My favorite movie. Um, <laughs> Beauty Shop. Beauty Shop. 
Uh, Beauty Shop does rule. That's accurate. Uh, in isn't she in f- the Footloose remake? Right, she is. Yes, yes. she plays um, the Diane Weist role. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just looking because like Sex Lies and Videotape, she's great. I think she's pretty great in Green Card. Yeah, um, see, so. she's got some good ones there. Who does she play in Shortcuts? Then, I totally forget her being in Shortcuts. I haven't seen Shortcuts since I was like a teenager. Okay, um, she plays Mrs. Shortcuts. <laughs> That's the that's owner of a Mrs. beauty Short- shop, which Josephine was a prequel Cut. Beauty yeah, shop. it's a pre, right. it's a beauty shop prequel. <laughs> um, so Hudson Hawk, they- lest we forget. Yeah, right. Gee, her career's all over the place. <laughs> right, and then her first film is Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, in which she is sure. fully dubbed by Glenn Close. Is that right? What is that true? Her wait, performance, that- I believe, wait, is what? fully dubbed in that movie. Because they didn't like her accent. Let me double check I this. I, she does have that southern accent, so that's correct. I just didn't know it was Glenn Close. Guys, Wikipedia says the dialogue of Andy McDowell, who played Jane, was dubbed in post by Glenn, yeah. Glenn Close. According wow. to Hudson, this was due to McDowell's southern U.S. accent, which he did not want for the film, and that she was not, at the time, a trained actor. <laughs> um, That's crazy. That's, her is all it, it, her, fucking over the place. I feel like her voice is like a huge asset. Like, totally. You know, that's yeah, something well then she's bringing to the table. The accent and Jane. The, like it's and as we found out in right. this movie, also her singing voice. I okay, think she's so, kind of charming in this. Pumpkin. I don't dislike apple, her in this. Cherry. I don't <laughs> I, I don't dislike any of them in this. Yeah. I do think everyone's a little undercooked. Sure. That makes, like everyone's roles, right? Like it's like Right. I I, I I don't know if this movie was edited to death or something. It just feels like there's something missing from it. I don't know what it is because I started and watching it. Kind of it jumps from plot to plot kind completely. of rapidly and then we'll just stop and sit in something that's only somewhat interesting. Can I we all agree? I'm sorry, Griffin. No, no. Ahead. What were you going to say, Kevin? I was going to say I, I would love if we could agree that the cut of Gene Stapleton dropping an egg into a frying pan Ooh. to a funeral is an I think you should leave sketch. Absolutely. I, I think it is. It was Ab- canonically. Also, I was I was very disappointed reading the cast list when I saw Gene Stapleton's name and for five minutes thought it was Gene Smart, but it, it wasn't. It's Edith. Man. I forgot. She would also be good enough. Yeah. What were you saying, David? I, I'm sorry. I had a question about the egg thing. Because the you know yeah. that's early in the movie. Obviously, Gene Stapleton's making them all breakfast, and she keeps asking what their eggs you know should be. Yada yada yada, and they say over easy. She's clearly handing them scrambled eggs. <laughs> it, they're not over easy eggs. Like it is a pile of yellow scrambled egg. Like and. What, what is this just some a fuck up like it, it, did they decide over easy sounded funnier later i just i couldn't get over it i cannot it wait really on this because i up. was covering you don't my care eyes about this eggs. entire scene <laughs> no i'm revolted i know, I know. <laughs> wait do you not like right. eggs griffin i hate them they're disgusting they're the devil's oh food oh my god i was thinking De- in the shower this morning about how much eggs. i love eggs devil's you, well true and if you ask me all eggs are deviled eggs oh my they've god. all been smooched he by said satan it. himself <laughs> very savage um, um it is a what? weird moment i i was gonna say like i i started watching this movie and i was looking at the wikipedia and i saw that it had 30 percent on rotten tomatoes and i was like this movie feels kind of charming like i know this doesn't have a reputation for being great but 30 percent is really low and then you get to the mm-hmm. end of the movie and you're like nothing catastrophic has happened here but it's very right. hard to say that this movie works 
Yeah, like it, to the it end, is I'm like, what is this that. movie about? Right. It was hard to say anything about the movie. I, also, I found it to be I, kind of a pleasant watch, but I, I can't really wrap my head around it. But at the end of the first act, when it sort of finally has settled down and when Michael says to Annie McDowell, I'm going to want you to sing and to William Hurt, I'm going to need you yeah. to apologize. And there's like a master plan in place that we don't really know about, right? Like, And it's a road trip. I'm like, okay. Okay. I think this movie's going to start zooming. I think this movie's set up. Yeah. I think I'm on board. Bit of a slow start, but that's cool. And then, even though that is, you know, basically what happens, it never, like, felt like it, like, gathered a lot of momentum. It's just, I don't know. They, like, get to that pretty quickly, and then it's a lot of just space to fill. No. Right. And then also, I don't know if you guys felt this, I mean, jumping around, but I felt very disappointed when it became clear, oh, the point of this movie is... Michael was sent to Earth specifically and exclusively to make Annie McDowell and William Hurt fall in love. Yes, which is weird, I would which, say. Which is Not- weird. And I'm fine with the two of them ending up together, but it's weird that that was his mission. It's weird that he like used his last, you know, whatever miracle chip, right? His last like earth pass yeah to get two fairly annoying people together who don't right like, have a lot of chemistry and don't really have fully drawn characters it feels like a rube goldberg device too because if totally. the idea is like you guys need to fall in love it's just like well just do the street running thing like in chicago and don't even deal with iowa yes. and the road and the twine and stuff absolutely just turn your right. tv on god damn it you know yeah, don't like don't have a, a mouse like run to a baseball bat and knock over a teacup is this evidence of like a script that was written and then rewritten like is it like it had this and then nora came in and was like i want it to be like a road trip and they go to the big ball of like is that what happened i don't know we can't find any answers i mean this is why is this movie congress release the files what is Nora's touch though? What's her signature where it's like, oh, there's this in this movie, like all the of her newspaper. Movies. Is like, it which the- like she loves she loves yeah. journalism, right? She loves, like, you know, she loves a newsroom, an editor, a yeah. writer, right? Like even so if it's that. for the Daily Mirror, is that what it's called? Yes. I believe it's called the National Mirror. <laughs> the National Mirror. because uh, the Daily Mirror yes. is an an English newspaper. I swear you, you know that, that but yeah, okay. Um, oh, I find it smashing. <laughs> Simply smashed. Also, just side note, Robert Pastorelli, for the first 20 minutes of this movie, I'm like, did Steven Van Zant say no thanks to this? <laughs> wow. Is is Steven Van Zant a market correction to Robert Pastorelli? Are we just some bodying level? everyone in this movie? No, I don't I love Steven Van Zant. I've I know I, I know own guitar do. picks I, from Steven Van Zant. Little Steven. Yeah, we do I, love I, little Steven. We love a, a gangster in Norway. We stand. Lilyhammer. Well, we do well, love is, a Lilyhammer. This is sort of Pastorelli's like last great moment, right? I mean, he's like Pastorelli's last dance, right? I mean, because four years later he gets mired in scandal, oh, and five gosh. years after that he kills himself. Not to be bleak here. So sad. Not to be bleak. Treasure but, but, Planet. Well, eraser. Right. right. But this is like his last sort of window of like he's coming off of what he was on. Uh, uh, suddenly Susan or Murphy Brown. He was on Murphy Brown. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. And then had his own sitcom for one season. Um, it's interesting. I mean, he's you know he's he's a big part of this movie. This is what I thought this movie was going to be at the halfway point. I thought it was okay. going to be these cynical journalists are mm-hmm. in a car with Michael, 
accompanying him on his journey to solve whatever he was sent on Earth to do. And right. along the way, he changes them just by proximity. They start to fall in love, their hearts open up, and there's some big reveal at the end of what Michael was sent to do and the ultimate sacrifice he makes. Yeah, instead, this functions as Lost, right? Right. Where the end of Lost is like, the point was that you guys met and love each other The point was was you guys, which I don't like. It feels way too small. And I also just like, she's had such a bad run of relationships, and he is such an asshole that I'm not convinced this is an ultimate victory for the two of them to be together. No, and especially, and this this not gets shaded in a different way when it is a, a, a woman directing it, but yeah. the, the kind of wild um, gender and sexual politics of ending your movie with a woman saying no five times and then saying yes, and it's a yes, <laughs> is uh, bananas, <laughs> and I don't know yeah. how to unpack it. <laughs> and that's like, that's almost a Nora touch. Like, that feels <laughs> like, like putting the key lime pie in Jack Nicholson's face in Heartburn, you know? Yeah. Sure. Like, that sure, feels sure. like, when you're asking what the touch is, it's like, it's this weird combination of, like, bitter and sweet. It's this person mm-hmm. who knows how to, like, make a souffle with some Tabasco sauce in it, you know? Ooh, I like that. You love a souffle, Griff. Yeah, or a sour cream raisin pie, as they alluded to at some point in the movie. Yeah, no thank you, by the way. <laughs> at her most successful, she was a, sort of the preeminent souffle filmmaker of her mm-hmm. time. And then she tries to like expand out to these other things to varying levels of success. But yeah. this movie has this like really interesting, it's got this like autumnal color palette. It's all very brown, sure. and the sky is usually just like dead white. And it's very much framed around these big open landscapes as they're just like driving through like the empty terrain of America. It has a very different look and feel to most studio comedies of the 90s. It all feels very intentional, right? Like no question. Completely. And I think it looks good. I think all this is well done. I do too. I think it's a nice and there's like these nice little cinematic touches. Um, I like the barn collapsing at the beginning or the bank, whatever it is, you know. I like... Um, I don't know some of the stuff with his feet and like you can feel like feel the air moving around him like the, the way that it tries to communicate that there's like something about this guy when they introduce him and you see the floorboards from the ceiling that he's stepping on and the dust coming from them which right, I wasn't right. even sure if that was supposed to be when they first get to the milk bottle motel or whatever mm-hmm. it's called and you see the floorboards creaking I, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be reading that as like, is that a size joke where it's like, look how much they're creaking. Here comes trouble or so, or I, just I like think, I mean, cause so much of this is up. This movie is, Hey, you'll never expect an angel not to be ripped. You'll never expect an angel to smoke Marlboro's. Yeah. You'll never expect an angel to fuck like all, all of those sort of subversions. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of aesthetics though, one man who was working overtime on this movie Randy freaking Newman. Okay. okay. Kevin okay. with so a just perfectly timed Zoom background for change. For the listener. <laughs> just Kevin so in the middle of that sentence. About. I wouldn't have known otherwise. I wouldn't have known. <laughs> He's got a beautiful picture of Randy smiling and he clicked it right as he said Randy Newman. It's Randy at the Oscars, I think, right? That mm-hmm. looks like an Oscar shot. It's I think from this Randy most recent year. Mm-hmm. I like the Randy score here. Now, I have to admit, I'm just sort of like... This strain of Randy score tickles such a nostalgia spot for me just because of Toy Story. Like anything that feels like mid 90s Randy Newman 
is just oh, immediately man. hitting the heartstrings for me. He is like, and you do notice how much of like what I associate as like, oh, it's the Toy Story sound. It's just Absolutely. like, that's just Randy. Yes. That's yes. Randy being Randy, mm-hmm. man. And yeah. just like the kind of very um, melodically sophisticated Americana stuff. And he was doing on the natural and stuff too, right. but he's like so heartfelt about but it. There, there is it, something. It, it, yeah. it, do, it does raise the question though yeah. with Randy, like who his influences are. Like, honestly, who are his guys? <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Right. Okay. All right. We okay. got, uh, we got our, Kevin obviously came to play. <laughs> okay. oh, I'm trying to listeners, be a good guest. Listeners, when Kevin said, who are his guys? And that, <laughs> I gotta say, he played that that tee up real straight, real dry. Which, I did not think own, he was setting a up funny, a joke. A funny thing we like to say on the show. Like, what, right. on its own, funny enough. Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> but at the moment he said, it makes you wonder, click, who are his guys? <laughs> he activated a photo of Mark Marin and Randy Newman together. <laughs> I assume at the cat ranch. And Randy's eyes are looking uh, in two wildly different directions. <laughs> I know. Right. I don't want to be mean. I hope he's okay. Uh, he looks great. <laughs> or whatever uh, that song is. I love... Yeah, I don't like Putin. Putin. Uh, he's gracious. trying to hack our votes. Uh I do think, though, all this is like part and parcel. I keep on using that term here, but is like this weird sort of approach to Americana this movie has. Like, I kept on thinking, like, there's some painter it this movie looks Hmm. like. Like, it's almost got like the color palette of like American Gothic, you know? And you have Randy doing his sort of like weird, like postmodern neo Americana thing. And, and it um, is so much like this movie is driving through parts of the country that are never in movies. Yeah. I mean, also literally like, just the landscapes. And I think about like, it's, it feels like Efron wants us to be like really beholding the natural beauty of like, it's kind of funny, but isn't the challenge or whatever he says, what is it? Battle, battle, he says to yes. like the bowl. Is that supposed to be like, this is this is real America. It's just like well, a kind of out of his mind guy in the middle of a field running at a bull. And like Randy's going ham on the score and it's very gorgeous and it's supposed to be like building up to this epic conclusion. It was confusing. It was confusing to watch. But that parts. was another moment where I was like, okay, so is this what this movie is? This is where you reveal that he has visited Earth, like whatever he says, 28 times. But this is his last time. There's some, there's some time limit or there's some right. finite amount of visits. After this, after this mission, whatever he was sent here to do, he has to go back permanently. He never comes to Earth again. So this road trip is him trying to get his final, his last licks in. But then mm-hmm. it feels like the sort of bucket list element of the movie, which could be really fun. Because you're like, what's on the bucket list of an angel who can't be hurt? You know? Uh, that stuff isn't really... Uh, a through line that follows through. He just likes to put sugar on everything and fuck a bunch of women in front of their That well, shit boyfriends. was disgusting. Yeah, that is oh disgusting. my God. Yeah. But he is smoking and drinking like it don't matter. So that is I mean, true. <laughs> there's that. But I want like, I don't know. I, I want would, more I hear incidents it, like the bullfighting. You get it. Dude, I mean, you're rocking if, a very Michael lifestyle. Yeah. If I was <laughs> I mean, an angel and so, I had a, only a little bit of time left, yeah. I would be doing the same kind of shit. You'd buy a Just carton. sans sugar and, well, you know what? It would be a sugar cube with LSD on it. Like mm. that kind of stuff. Ooh, baby. 
Right, you'd be a trippier angel. But I mean, like, I don't look, I'm not a liturgical expert, but like Michael the Archangel is he he's famous for doing battle, right? He's like yes. fights Satan, he's in the book of Revelation, he's sort of like sort of like an action angel. So is the idea like, you know, the guy likes sugar, he's you know, he likes fucking, but also like he's spoiling for a fight. Like he loves to throw down whenever he can. Yeah, right? I don't like know. This movie has like stunts. Sorts. Yeah. yeah. It has like a bar fight where like people are flipping and stuff. Okay. The bit though of that he has invented stuff. I, I like that. Oh, it's standing in line good. or marriage. Yeah, yes, yes, it's yes, kind of I think good. that's a funny bit. The standing it, in line uh, joke is also just a, that's like a good Nora Ephron line where he's yeah. like, you should have mm-hmm. seen it before. Everyone was just milling around. <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's then people funny. say, How, standing in line for what? And he says, to get in, which is another good Nora joke. The cut I watched that was on my iTunes rental, he does have a weird line where he says, I'm deep throat. <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean, Michael? And he's like, no, 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 it was me. So here's what happened. And they he explains it for like 25 minutes. For this people is a who... wild thing. We haven't talked about it <laughs> so all in this miniseries. Oh, Nora have we Ephron. not? Was no, married but let's to Carl establish Bernstein, it now. Yes. Who uh, obviously helped break the Watergate case. Right. Their and toxic marriage was the basis for Heartburn. Right. Mm-hmm. And he cheated on her and they got divorced and she wrote a book about it and a movie was made about it. You know, obviously, right. Their relationship fell apart. And for the rest of her life, before the revelation that Mark felt was deep throat, she would routinely at dinner parties, whatever, <laughs> just be like, oh, it's Mark Felt. Just she FYI. That's your deep telling throat people. And like, I don't think she said it in terms of like, I know because he told me she was just like, I know because I lived with him and like, it's obvious. I just, she it's saw obvious his initials. Felt. She saw his initials well, in his notes. MF, which they always yeah. said stood for my friend. That was that was the Woodward <laughs> My name. friend. And she's like, yeah, my friend, Mark Feld. That's who it stands for. <laughs> but she was like, Nora Ephron doesn't get enough credit for being the original Mr. Policeman. I gave you all the clues. Like she was just telling us. <laughs> She was telling us, but maybe it just felt, I mean, it's not like she wasn't the only person like Mark felt was considered a candidate for deep throat in the days of, you know, it's just fun. So maybe people were just like, well, that's her guess. But it is funny that she was just saying it partly as a fuck you to Carl Bernstein. I also think that she wasn't saying it like it was a big announcement. So people assumed like that can't be real. If this was the truth, she would be making some grand proclamation. It would be an exclusive you know, to some outlet. Instead, she was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's Mark Felt. Like, she just kept saying it over and over again. And I do love for, like, a certain, you know, part of culture and for that time period, the Bernstein-Efron marriage is there, like, Britney K-Fed in terms of, like, it was short but red hot. It affected culture forever. (laughs) It's tied to so many things, both of them equally accomplished in different ways. public. Like, I was talking about Heartburn with my sister, and I was like, you don't understand, like, the movie tames down the fact that this was, like, national headlines. Like, it was, like, the guy who breaks Watergate cheats on one of America's most beloved humorists with the daughter of the prime minister. Like all three names involved were so Daughter juicy. Of James Callahan's, uh, yeah, former British what? Prime Minister. How do you know that? <sighs> Again, very weird. Very the, weird history. And then, and then the other crazy thing we haven't talked about is Nora then marries the man she's with until her death, Nicholas Pelleggi. Yep. Who writes Still Wise like Guys, it. the book mm-hmm. that guy. became Goodfellas. And he wrote Goodfellas with um, yes Scorsese, and he oh. wrote, uh, I believe he wrote Casino, right? Correct. But yeah. but Nora 
writes and does not direct a movie called My Blue Heaven, which is the sequel to Goodfellas. Yes, that's right. That's right. She writes a comedy with Rick Moranis and Steve Martin, Steve Martin playing the Henry Hill character that is a studio comedy based off of Nicholas Pelleggi's findings from Henry Hill once he moved into witness protection in the suburbs. Oh, very strange. And it's Nebishi Rick Moranis lives next door to former mob guy, played by Steve Martin with a flat top. I just think that's so bizarre. A thing we don't talk about is, like, she writes a movie that is in all but name the sequel to Goodfellas. Yeah. No, except weird. in a different genre. They didn't right. market it like that, though, right? No, absolutely not. Okay. Absolutely not. Very strange. Look up the poster for this movie. Kevin. Oh, I'm looking it's, at it. It's an it's, aggressive poster. <laughs> it's like, can you believe these two talking to each other? Right, I guess he's a cop in it? Is mm, he the... Uh, yeah. He's got a gun on the poster. And it's called My Blue Heaven because Blue Heavens Matter. Um, Blue Heavens that, Do Matter. That is very right. true. It's very, actually very, very true. <laughs> Um, okay, let's talk about the setup for this movie because we've talked around a lot of other stuff, but the setup for this movie is so weirdly complex. They work, uh, uh, Robert Pastorelli and William Hurt work for a sort of uh, a World Weekly News National Enquirer type paper that both covers, like a supermarket tabloid that both covers fake stories yes. like Santa Claus discovered living in North yeah, Pole. I think but also right. seems to do celebrity gossip and stuff. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be kind of like the British tabloid Hello. It's so like okay. yeah, it's like a higher end, not like a supermarket tabloid that's just on like really cheap paper and is just gobbledygook. But how but would like you know that? A glossy, a glossy, really kind of big and very photo heavy sure. magazine that would be like thirty percent celebs. 30% like royal family, like, right. right? Like, you know, all the princess die and all that shit. And then 30% like nonsense. So this paper know. is owned and run by uh, uh, Bob Hoskins, who seems to be like a billionaire. Uh, <laughs> sure. He's a mogul of some sort. Right. Um, but they have very ritzy offices. They fly in right. the world's largest Christmas tree. This seems to be a very, yes. very popular publication, but not respected. And William Hurt used to be a respected journalist, and now he's right. stuck here with his now best friend Robert Pastorelli. They're partners. Now he's slumming it. But the weirdest thing, and the thing that is hardest to figure out, and like I didn't even grasp early, is that the dog is like central the to the editorial mission the of this whole dog. publication. Without the dog, the paper absolutely falls apart. The dog which is, is not only the mascot, but it's like they have this wall of photos that's like the dog meeting Queen Elizabeth and the, the Dalai Pope. Lama and the right, Pope right. and shit. And and I saw that, and initially I was just like, yeah, it's celebrity. And then like they're it's saying, like, you need that dog, and I'm like. Yeah, they need the dog. <laughs> yes, David, they I mean, need the dog. I love the dog. The dog is the central conflict of the movie. And let me explain uh, it as concisely as I possibly can. It's a stray dog who is very taken with Robert Pastorelli, who's usually a grump, but had a dog like this as a child. And the dog senses that on him. The dog then starts getting photographed with all these celebrities, which is key to the popularity of the paper. So the dog right. is integral, but the dog only listens to Pastorelli. So Pastorelli has job security as long as the dog is still alive. 
but Bob Hoskins doesn't want to keep Pastorelli on staff. So he hires Andy McDowell, who is a dog uh, trainer, to pretend to be a journalist and in the process... Pretend to be an angel expert. An angel expert. That is, is what, not yes. a thing. But, but, but the thing is, 80 to 90% of what you're describing is laid out initially, right? Right. And but then the, I had to. The last couple yeah. pieces get put in like an hour and 20 minutes into the movie. Like, they, they then basically drop it until right near the end when Andy McDowell's like, I'm not an angel expert. This is a whole ruse. We're trying right. to. It's like, you know, like, it's so well, complicated. She says, she says that she's a dog trainer in response in defense of her killing a dog on accident. Right. And you have the one scene where she's saying goodbye to the dogs, but it's like he is meeting with uh, Hoskins is meeting with McDowell, explaining to her what he wants, which isn't even really clear to the audience at that point. Meanwhile, Hurt and Pastorelli are getting the letter about the angel, or is it a phone call? They get the tip off on Michael. They get, so a mail, they get a letter with a picture inside right. of it, yes. So then they storm Hoskins' office to be like, we found an angel, you have to let us go down there. And that's the moment where Hoskins says, take this angel expert with you. So she has had way- no prep time to fake this personality. She goes like, oh, I'm, I am, I'm hired. She finds out she's hired and finds out what ruse she's going to have to sell at the same moment. This is the thing that makes no sense. She says it like she barely understands that she, what she's supposed to be pretending to Absolutely. be, right? Like she's right. like an angel expert, what? And- Pastorelli and Hurt, supposedly journalists, like, yeah. you know, are just like, I guess we got saddled with this angel expert who's definitely an expert on angels and knows right. everything about angels. Like, I guess there's no further questions on this one. Three I people definitely to need to do interviewing this. At this moment, right when you stormed through and said, I got a letter about an angel. Right. It's it's bizarre and it doesn't make sense. So then and, the movie becomes uh, Pastorelli and Hurt, who sense that their careers are in danger. <laughs> Even yes. though Hurt says to him, as long as you got the dog, you're safe. The dog sells papers. Decide to go find Michael because they think this story is so big, it will solidify their standing within the paper. McDowell is with them, supposedly as an expert, but secretly to try to train Sparky to respond to her instead so they can fire Pastorelli, who is a photographer. And also, why do they right. need to fire him? What's the what's the problem here? Is it that he's costing too much money? I think he I just quits anyway. Like, they want they, control of the dog. The dog the rules dog. it all. Okay, if still, you've got the dog, then you're in. Yeah, you're still just making the dog inextricably tied to a different person. Are dogs Nora Ephron's thing? Is there like a cute little doggy and bewitched as well? I know you've got male ends with the dog jumping on Hank as he's smooching yeah. with Meg. Yeah, but I don't, but I don't, I don't think, think of her as dog yeah. heavy. Okay. Right. But there's also just like, there's no sort of real world equivalent for this where you're like, oh yes, that publication whose identity is tied to the dog being in photos with every famous person. Yeah. Uh, I'm just like racking my brain. I mean, this is again what made me think that she was inspired by like 40s Bing Crosby going my way, you know, like, uh, you know, Bob because it's like that's the kind of insanely specific Hollywoody kind of premise that I can buy in those kinds of movies where it's like, well, I mean, everybody loves Jim the Wonder Dog. Like, if 
what are you going to do? He's the talk right. of the town. But it's like, it's the 90s. I don't think people are still like, I just got to get my fix of pics of a celebrity with that specific dog every month. As we said, like, like tonally, the movie is not, it does not feel like a pastiche. It is very much of the 90s, but you have to think in terms of storytelling, that's the kind of vibe she was going for. And this <sighs> weird, subtle, magically realist comedy, because then it's like, they get to the milk bottle motel. They meet uh, Edith uh, Bunker. Edith Bunker. And then Michael comes in, upends all oh, their expectations. Oh, Michael, you're here! Boy, the way Glenn Miller played. <laughs> Archangels, help me with banks. Which I will say, I thought it was weird for them to give her a 15-minute musical number in the middle. Of the I film. thought that was cool, because that's a throwback as well, like you were describing with the genre. Yes, It is a throwback. <laughs> So then, she she's in this and then she's in You've Got Mail as well. Oh, right. So there's this weird like it's almost like a baton toss of like she works with Rob Reiner on All in the Family. Yeah. Then he works with Nora wow. on Harry Met Sally. Then she works with Nora on Michael and You've Got Mail. Yeah. And then Michael kills her. And then Michael, Michael, <laughs> that, the call. OK, her first coughing Oof. fit. Is something yes. I would like to discuss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Because so the movie has this. She you, honestly, when the movie starts, you're like, "This is a four-hander. This is going to be Travolta, McDowell, Hurt, and um, Stapleton." Like it just that, sort of feels like they're like, "Get ready," because right. Stapleton's going to be all over this thing. They oh, might yeah. leave Pastorelli behind. Stapleton, yeah, Pastorelli might, might have to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but them. She has this coughing fit, and I was like, oh, I get the joke's going to be that she dies like the second they meet him, mm -hmm. her. Yes. And then she says, no, I'm contemplating my death, right? Is that what she says? It's something like yes. that. Mm -hmm. It's um, this wild physical bit, though, where it sounds, yes. it looks like she's hamming it up, but she's not. But she kind of is because she's being dramatic about it and like slouched over until they ask her what's wrong. And yeah, it was, just, it was a very strange energy. But then, I don't know, what, 10 minutes later, if that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. She, the same thing happens to her and she dies. She cracks an egg and she dies. Yeah. It's not even, they don't even do a rule of three. It's two. No, it's two. And then hard cut from egg to funeral. <laughs> that, that was yes, the hardest which, I've laughed since lockdown started. I'll, <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> I will say this. I think a hard cut to a funeral is usually going to work. Like it's that's usually pretty funny. funny, right? Like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. especially if it's like, it should be like outside, maybe the coffin lowering, right? Like that's always a good cut. Like I think of like Grimes, right? Yeah. In the Simpsons when he's like, you know, I can touch <laughs> these exposed power wires. I'm Homer Simpson cut to his funeral. <laughs> Just like, like the harder the cut, the better. And, and they even like, they like uh, put a cherry on top of the cut, which is Annie McDowell sobbing hysterically. And William Hurt says, you knew her for like three hours. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right, that's right. the thing is like they stick around town for the, the, for the funeral. funeral. Yeah. For the ceremony of it all. And then, and then the movie does just become like, okay, so uh, I guess come back to, okay, did they want to come back to Chicago so they could take a picture of him in Chicago? Was that the, I was very confused about why they need to be in Chicago. They want him to meet Bob Hoskins, but also he refuses to have his photo taken before they get to Chicago, but he doesn't like planes and he needs more time. So they have to drive. They are now in a car, the four of them. 
the four mm-hmm. amigos and Sparky the dog driving to Chicago. It feels Rain Manny though, and yes. it's conceit of like, here's this man who's like weird, and we have to like bend to all his not weird. Right. I'm sorry, I don't mean it's that like, offensively, but just like so many. No, but in right. this case, it it applies. It is like yeah. the premise is what it if is there's that. a weird guy on the road trip with you? Yeah, <laughs> and, but and and because of the weird guy, you have to drive. Like Rain Man right. is that Midnight Run is that right? Like the specific subgenre of like this guy is weird and won't get on a plane for some reason. Right. He makes now, everything more complicated. I would like us to yeah, reimagine right, all the right. scenes in this movie with Dustin Hoffman as Rain Man, smelling like cookies and taking women back to his hotel room. And- can I Can I say, I fundamentally think Travolta is bad casting for this movie. Okay, okay. We're, we're, so we're talking about it. I think we have to. I think he is weird in all of the wrong ways for this role. And mm-hmm. even you just saying Dustin Hoffman right now, I'm like, that would work better for me. Mm-hmm. I think Travolta is a weird combination of like the ways in which he's weird feel like he's not aware. He's not self-aware. And in this pocket, especially now that he's like back to being a major movie star, he's like always a little too concerned with being charming and sweet. Yeah. 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 Well, in the charming has, like, sweet stuff, I do find comes off as strange. Very Right, he seems weird. <laughs> like, yeah, when he's like dancing sweet. in the field and doing his stuff right. and like right. dancing with the ladies on, on, on the dance floor, I'm like, no, no, no. Right, and no, you're like, you, this Papa. probably needs to be a movie star who was known for being a charming cat. Like, it yeah. needs to be Hoffman who or Bill Murray or Jack Nicholson, you know? Murray, I could see. Obviously, Nicholson. I mean, Nicholson... It would almost be too cute because he like plays yes. a devil, like right, like you know. Right. Now it's like, well, what if there was an angel? And they're like, no, uh, uh, wait up, it's Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Murray, <laughs> Murray like was the one I kept thinking of, especially in Murray this would be time interesting. period. Be a very different movie, very different movie. Because Murray is not a guy. Not that he's not romantically intriguing, mm-hmm. but he's not like a sex appeal guy, right? Like in the same way. No, but don't you also he's think not horny? That- I guess is the best way to put it. Travolta has a horniness. Don't, yeah, well, hey. I, and I'm I not think, saying that's a good thing. I exactly. think Dana Barrett would disagree. He charmed oh. the pants off of her. He made her levitate. I have to Google that now. Okay. Sleeps above it's the a, covers. I believe it's a Sigourney Weaver's character. Oh, that's right. right. Excuse me. <laughs> Three feet above the covers. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I, but Griffin, do you know what I mean? Like, yes. Travolta's dirty. But I'm not saying that's a good thing. I think we are agreed that sure. that's not quite the right energy. Well, I think that's a problem with this movie is like Travolta still is borderline enough of a regular sex symbol that mm. when women constantly turn their heads and are drawn to him inexplicably in this movie, it isn't as funny as if it were like slovenly yeah. Bill Murray chain smoking, right. pouring sugar in his coffee. And suddenly everyone was going like, who is that? I think that's accurate. Right. Like, or like, it would um, be, like it a would, Brian it, Dennehy. <laughs> I mean, oh Dennehy in this movie. I'd watch he it. Would slay. John Goodman is Michael, but that's, I'd the, watch it. that's the problem is I think he's weird in all the wrong ways and he's charming in all the wrong ways. This yeah. is what's complicated about it, Griffin. And you're right. It's like, Yes, John Travolta has at this point aged beyond Marky Idol romantic lead. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like Pulp Fiction, Get Shorty. Like, in these movies, these sure. movies are not, he's, you know, a romantic lead. He still gets the leading first. lady in his films, but they're not yes, romances first and right, foremost. Right, exactly. But, right, he's still a little too in that for it yeah. to be weird that he, yeah, I don't know. 
Right. It has to be a guy like Nicholson. I'm not saying it should be Nicholson, but that Nicholson Look. power of like this guy inexplicably became a sex symbol. Nicholas Cage. We're talking, you know, maybe they got the wrong face off guy. It's better because because you need that contrast for like, I would not go for it. Well, it's like, well, him in Moonstruck is kind of like the chaotic energy, but he's still somehow very charming. Yeah, I want to hear what David's going to say, but I just want to quickly working off of what you said, Ange, pitch a clean face off. (laughs) You have Nicolas Cage do Michael. You have John Travolta do City of Angels. Ooh, is that not a better fit for off. both? Is that not better, better for, both? for both? Should this be a new thing like face-offs where we're like, let's take <laughs> two movies from the same year-ish yes. and like that didn't work and see if switching the leads does anything? I think this is a fun segment. Who are you going to propose, David? I think an internal face-off. Travolta should play the magazine editor and Hoskins should play the angel. I think that's <laughs> I, I think that's a great pitch. <laughs> because I think Travolta could have fun with, you know, 10 15 minutes of, you know, newspaper jerk, right? Like, you Absolutely. know, weirdo. Yep. Like truly DeVito as Michael, like someone where it's like, "Oh." <laughs> the weirdest thing about Get Shorty, a movie I really like, is that DeVito plays someone who is basically the biggest movie star in the world. And yeah, I, I love Danny it. DeVito. Yeah. Because like the joke in the book is that he's short. Sure. But that's a joke about Tom Cruise. Like they're not right. saying that he's five feet tall, even right. on a good day in sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just like a, a crazy overcorrection where they're like, what's the deal? He's short. Call Danny DeVito. That's but you so know, funny. David, even like an internal face off, I'm not saying he's the ideal casting, but I think this movie works better. If William Hurt plays Michael and Travolta okay. plays the editor. I considered that. You talk about what's wrong with the casting of both of these guys. Yeah. Travolta's a little too conventionally charming and not self-aware of how he's weird. William right. Hurt is a guy where anytime a woman ends up with William Hurt in a movie, you're like, that feels like a prison sentence. Like, I can tell this guy's <laughs> difficult. You're never going to fully melt that heart, right? Fair. No, it's awful. Fair. Right. It's absolutely a- awful. <laughs> There's something about him that is just like very, very uh, thorny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think you can't pin the movie on. You want to see them break each other down. Yeah, because again, with Travolta, it just feels like movie star bullshit where it's like right. uh, put in the script. That everyone loves me where it's like that actually is the script and what's supposed to be genuinely funny about it. Right. That but they should love him. It's almost there. Can the, I, but he has to on, be like put in the script that I specifically am not letting Andy McDowell love me. I, block, I put a block on right. you. <laughs> I put a block on you. I blocked you. Oh my God. Oh, speaking of casting what ifs, for Groundhog Day, who did Andy McDowell's role almost go to? Tori Amos. Really? Tori Amos. That is fucking That's- wild. That is some <laughs> wild shit. Yeah. Now, imagine this movie with Tori Amos instead. Yeah, I can't do that. You're saying, what if Tori Amos, it was a sliding door scenario? <laughs> yeah, Tori she, Amos and Magic Mike XXL. She would have ended up getting every Annie McDowell role. Um, <laughs> no, the, now, the Tori Amos tr- as a country western singer songwriter, hey. that's interesting. And to me, this is my favorite part of this movie <laughs> is Annie McDowell's subplot, excuse me, her hobby. Yes. Writing country Western songs, specifically that genre, is her hobby. She is a dog trainer who wants to get hired as a decoy by a tabloid, but secretly. 
It's too Actually, much business. So much it's a business. lot of business. Kevin, I'm with you. I think the country writer thing is cute. Like, or yeah. like there's there's a version of that that you could make really, really cute. I love it. But I, I'm just too like tripped up by like trying to figure out like, wait, the dog trainer thing and like how did she even get wrapped up in a in a tabloid like like I just I can't even get to when she takes out her fucking notebook and I expect her to be like well I'm a reporter like she doesn't even have treats in her pockets like she's no (laughs) she doesn't know from dog training that's a great point this is the most scathing thing I can say about this movie. A movie that Ooh, I probably give a go. gentleman six. Okay. I here gave it a go. six. I, I wavered between five and six, but I think I gave it a six. The middle the kind I, of was enough. The things for, I like right. in it, I like enough to give it a six. The most scathing thing I can say about this movie is there should not be a movie where I need to consult the Wikipedia page while I'm watching it. <laughs> To figure out the plot. And yeah, I this did. is not Tinker Tailor Soldier Exactly. <laughs> that is how I felt. And that is a great reference, Kevin, because that is the ultimate movie where you're right. like, did I miss 20 minutes? Like, right. is there? <laughs> I love that movie. And you, that's the thing. With Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, you can't hold it against the movie. You're, you're like, supposed it's, to be it's in the like, headspace. Like, oh, totally. Right, yeah. But yeah. I should not have to reopen the Michael tab four times to go like, okay, so that was in the first scene. Okay. Good well, that's grief. the thing. There's that one scene where she's talking to the dogs that feels kind of just cute and tossed off. I didn't think it was Nora a plot is point. Like, this is a plot linchpin. <laughs> like, yes. This isn't a point. This is a, the biggest or, breadcrumb. Even the pie runner, I, I thought yeah. I missed a scene where they're like hunting for pie all the time, which I, I do relate to a lot. We did do Big Little Pies, uh, the hey. watch party last summer, uh, back when HBO had original programming coming out. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten familiar with pie and hunting for the best ones, but I didn't understand why the characters in this movie were. But was well, I again, delighted when Andy McDowell really did write and sing a song totally about pie, <laughs> apple, pumpkin, cherry, Banana cream is my favorite part of the movie. But then it's also disappointing when you're like, oh, that's a runner merely to set up William Hurt and Andy McDowell fucking. But the pie stuff? Right? Because it was like he was hunting for pie so that he could get her in the place to sing a song about pies. But ah, yeah, I guess. Oh, because that's the thing. He makes the two promises. He's like, you promise me that you'll apologize to William Hurt and you promise me that you'll sing to Andy McDowell. And that's the moment when he calls out when they're eating the pies. Oh, and he says, right. you have to sing now. Yeah. I oh, just, gracious. I don't, I'm not crazy for saying this, right? They don't have any chemistry. Well, Andy and Will. There is one scene, they're if I can even call it in that movie. There's one yeah. scene of this movie where I give all credit to Nora Ephron that I think is, borderline transcendent in in just (gasps) her direction. And it is the scene that mostly plays as an unbroken two-minute one-er. Oh, on the stairwell at the motel. Yes. That scene's good. I think they fundamentally do not have a lot of chemistry. They don't have a lot of chemistry even in that scene. It's a well-done scene. That scene is a masterpiece of blocking and of camera movement. Yes, 100%. And I like the dialogue about like, oh, your room's directly above my room. The way he says that, like it's a flirt, even though you're like, what? (laughs) But like, you know what I mean? It's incredibly well written. And it's like they come out of the honky tonk bar, which is right next to the motel they're staying at. There's a little bit of shot reverse shot as they're saying goodnight to each other. And then it moves to this shot from like behind William Hurt's head as like, he starts to walk up the stairs. Then he grabs her hand and kisses her on the cheek. 
or it's the other way around, right? He's on the uh, ground sure. and she's walking up the stairs. I believe yeah. that's right. Yes. They kiss on the cheek and then she continues walking up the stairs, but she doesn't let go of his hand. Yes. Which and is really, the, it's it's like good it's fucking good. Lubitsch touch shit. And mm-hmm. then she walks it's, back down. They kiss again. That she keeps walking. And it's just like this tension of it until they start going up the stairs together. And that I was like, this is a very good depiction of two people in a weird circumstance making a spur of the moment decision to sleep together. It is not Lubitsch, the scene that sells me on them being together for the rest of their no. lives. Lubitsch is a good uh, reference. That's, what, that's who I'm maybe thinking of even more yeah. than like, you know, Hope and Crosby. Like that. twist of supernatural to like a sort of battle of the sexes type movie. Like I get that. Right. But when people talk about the Lubitsch touch, they talk about like that sort of like incredibly concise characterization that also functions as moving the story forward. That also is charming and humorous. And that usually is entirely visual or behavioral. Right. It's not the characters explaining themselves. And that scene is like a perfect distillation of that. And a thing that I think she was good at doing, but I was more into like, oh, look, they're falling backwards into this weird affair. This might sort of change both of them a little bit. And I felt so deflated the moment I find out, no, this is his heaven sent mission. Well, that's the problem. <laughs> it, it kills the chemistry. Not that it really exists anyway. Right. Because then the movie's just about like, well, this has been ordained by god or michael or whoever right like so that's why it's happening because it's like some divine command we love a god-ordained romance that's my favorite <laughs> kind of love stories when god wants two people to come together when i hear that at weddings i'm like yes this I, will work he has some line nothing hotter he has some line where he's like the toughest challenge melting the the world's iciest heart you know, like the man who no longer knew how to love. Like he, he frames it like it was like he was the Grinch as if he was like an iconic Scrooge level. Like and I don't think William Hurt is playing the level of asshole where you're like, no, there's no way this guy could ever fall in love. I think he's playing classic mild asshole William Hurt. Or it's Very like, yeah, mild asshole. Yeah. And. The crucial. So when early on, Michael is like, I'm going to need you to apologize and you're going to have to do it. Right. Like he he makes that like sort of compact. Another kind of nice scene in prison. I like that scene. I really like that scene. But right then in the prison scene, like, I don't know, like there's something about the energies like she's suddenly upset in a way where I'm like, I guess I get why. And he's suddenly being really jerky in a way that I'm like. This hasn't really been his vibe up until now. He's more over it than an asshole. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. It just, even though, so even though I like the choreography of that scene and I like the, like the, the idea of like, yeah, there's going to be a moment, a pivotal moment where you're going to need to stop being such a jerk. I just feel like she doesn't lay the groundwork for it. Right. Or something. I don't, I don't know. No. And as you said, I got excited when he says at some point, I'm going to ask you to apologize. Like that is, I love that. That gives me a lot of confidence in a movie because I go like, oh, my God, the writer is calling their shot. They're setting up they're setting up the fucking Rube Goldberg machine in a good way to later pay off beautifully. And I'm leaning in. I'm like, oh, what's that? What's that? Right. How is that going to be recontextualized? Right. Right. And it's a it's a good little mystery for a rom com. Like rather than I don't know, like we have to figure out who's behind the chemical spills. Like it's just like, right. 
Ooh, ooh, she's gonna need to. He's gonna need to apologize. But like Kevin, you've gone back to your uh, John Travolta as Moose in the Fanatic Zoom background. I have, yes. But on your real wall, you have a framed uh, illustration of Paddington the Bear. Uh, and we're talking we about setups and payoffs. Well, and, but also, also certainly yes. that's a perfect set of payoff movie, but also Paddington is like a perfect example of a genre of film I love a lot, which is one character quietly changes everything and everyone they come into contact with. Yes, love but that. it feels I mean, organic. It doesn't feel totally. like manipulated. And that's, and that's like the, true in that, both Paddingtons, but really true in the first one. Like, yes. right? like, he, like the whole block is changing because of him and right. Yeah. Right. But that's what you want out of Michael. Like, that's the promise this movie is making is here is this guy who seems like a slob, who seems like no conventional angel we've ever seen. Oh, but- man. <laughs> I don't know how many uh, comparisons I want to make. I mean, like, is marmalade his frosted flakes with sugar and more <laughs> yeah. sugar? Like, he puts it in ketchup at one point. He puts sugar on French fries at one point. It's overdoing the bit. Right. You want it to be this guy seems like he's a piece of shit. Like this guy is like a drunk, you know, he's smoking. He's like, uh, you know, a horn dog. But (laughs) slowly but surely, he he quietly touches everyone, every life that he encounters upon the way. And instead, it's just like something about how a tunnel vision this movie becomes at the end to the extent that like. When when Sparky gets hit by the truck and then Andy McDowell divulges the all of the plot the twists, by the way, yeah, right. And then William Hurt demands that Michael uh, right. save Sparky, and he says that's not my area. And Hurt, in with all the emotional passion and intensity of "I love you, wife," says, <laughs> "No, you have to bring him back to life. Do it, <laughs> do it. It's do true. It. He's he's just not into it. What is Please this about it. her nineties hurt? And then Michael <laughs> Michael does it. But it it takes so much power out of him that it he it starts shedding his little feathers from his him. wings, just, and he just wants to see the Sears Tower, which I think is a line I missed or something because like yeah. it becomes very important. And I was like, wait, I didn't realize Unreal. he was that but focused suddenly, on the Sears right. Tower. Well, he wants to see big stuff, he and wants that's to see the biggest big building. Yeah, I yeah, support that's it. the part Ben really resonated, connected yes. with in the movie. Is Absolutely, him going to the big ball of twine. Ben's just yeah. at home, like. Mm. But then yeah. they like they get to twine. Chicago. Twine's they get cool. To Chicago, I'll see the twine. The biggest nonstick pan. Oh, yeah, that's that a huge was a pan. weird one. That one's very niche. Like I've heard of the biggest nonstick. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Also, those old guys are really in it for it at that moment where he's just like going off about the battle of hell. Oh, oh when I he's talking it. about throwing Satan out of heaven and the old yeah. guys are like, oh, okay. <laughs> that's, I love that. I think yeah. that's great. No, it's you fun too. stuff. But once once he's in the field and is like, I don't have much longer, it takes right. three minutes to get to Chicago. Suddenly they're like rapid yeah, right. speed in Chicago. He's dying outside the Sears Tower. Yeah. And then the movie, and I'm like, okay, is the movie over? Like, have they all learned a lesson? Then the movie's no, like, no, no, eh, like ten more minutes, and I'm like, I don't need them. <laughs> right now, like before we get to my second favorite part of the movie, my first favorite part is the the song in which Andy McDowell does sing about all her. 16 ex-husbands or yes. however many right. which I thought that right. was going to be the thing is that oh they're fake and she's being a con lady in a different yeah. way with all these like outlandish stories about he his tires was bald and so was he but it's actually all true and she put him in the song my second favorite scene of course is when William Hurt goes out for a nice pasta dinner by himself uh, and who should be his waiter in the restaurant Kevin? yes Angel Richard- 
pasta. <laughs> Mr. Toby Ziegler himself. Yes. Who maybe like should be like, uh, I don't know, like indicted by the like anti-Italian <laughs> disparagement committee or whatever. You know what I mean? Like whatever this sort of like. Right. Like where I'm just like, Richard, I, I get the joke, but why are you the one doing this? I, I love Richard Schiff. He, oh. he is playing the illustration on the pizza box. <laughs> it is. It is outrageous. And because I think and it's in, in beardless Richard Schiff. A weird as we've, we've come to find out with people with beards and non beards during quarantine, myself mm. included. Beardless Richard Schiff is about 49 percent smarmier. Mm, the bearded mm-hmm. Richard Schiff. It's so you true. almost feel the contempt he might have for the man yeah. on the Italian pizza box when he's doing an impression of him. I also just think Schiff is one of those guys who is so thoroughly Jewish. You can't suddenly put a different group on him. The man played Toby Ziegler for a reason. Like that right. character is not called, you know, Toby Jones. It would be funny right. if he played Toby Jones. He's not actually. named Tony Linguini. <laughs> Toby Benini. <laughs> Can I just say... Something about the sugar before I forget. I just want to complain yes. about that. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Please. Griffin. Yeah. Michael. He likes yeah. to smoke cigarettes. Mm-hmm. He likes mm-hmm. to get his rocks off. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Come on. Yeah. He likes to indulge in food. Pie, you know, yeah. French fries. I don't know. Whatever. Sure. He's so the bit is, yeah, he's, he's an indulgent guy. He's sort of hedonistic. He enjoys pleasure, right? Mm-hmm. No one enjoys Frosted Flakes with a whole, like, a cup no. of sugar added. It's no. not like I'm every day, like, you know, what I really want is a cup of Frosted Flakes no, it's with also, sugar piled on top. It's a hat on a hat, my friend. <laughs> it's like he, four hats on a hat. Absolutely. And he is also... <laughs> it's like also, a sombrero on a hat. It's lids. It's the lid store on a hat. <laughs> but here's yeah. the fix. If it was pixie sticks and he was pouring it all over, then I'm on board. Absolutely. Here's what you do, guys, gang. I mean, for all of us doing cereal during this time, mm-hmm. grape nuts with honey drizzled Ooh. and a nice unsweetened vanilla almond milk. Terrific treat. Sounds classy. Mm, sounds sounds very classy. I love Griffin. it. Griffin. No, I, you- I agree with you. This is what I was going to say. He is putting so much sugar on that cereal that he is essentially eating spoonfuls of sugar, which I think all right. of us learned as a child is not fun. Like it has a it's bad a, texture. Classic it doesn't taste thing you good. Learn. Right. Exactly. Right. You're like, why don't I just cut out the middleman? Why don't I just eat sugar? And then you're like, oh, I get this. This When he's introduced eating that much sugar, like essentially just fucking mainlining sugar, (laughs) I was like, it's going to be revealed that it's part of like something of his physiology. Like he needs it to survive. There's some weird chemical reaction because of his wings or whatever. And instead, it's just supposed to be, if you were an angel, wouldn't you do that? (laughs) Which I don't relate to. Or maybe they cut it. out a scene where he was diagnosed with diabetes. Well, maybe they cut out a scene where he's like, my fucking powers come from sugar. Well, like, I need to recharge. Well, gang, yeah. I want to be clear. I want to be clear. And especially, is this movie rated PG or yes. PG-13? Uh, it is PG. It PG or PG-13? G. I can't. PG. Yeah, PG. So, okay, it is a PG movie. And right before um, Lil Sparky does get run over by a truck in the movie. Which he does. And Michael. And then he's dead. T- he absolutely does. Uh, but he, him and Michael do have a tender moment sitting on like a bench or something in a field. And he turns yep. to Sparky. And at one point he does say, well, you can never have too much sugar, which as a message in a PG movie, I can't sign off on. No, I don't think that's great. Absolutely. The film it's should be rated R. 
And if you look at the diabetes trends nationally in comparison to the year that the <laughs> movie Michael came out, there was a huge spike. Yeah. Oh, you Michael think might have doomed a generation. In the same well, way that Babe like- made kids go vegan, Michael made kids. <laughs> but you know how movies now, it's like PG-13 contains violence, smoking, you know, cigarette use. Yeah. Like what if it was like rated R, excessive sugar consumption? <laughs> yeah. I, can, I can tell you one person who'd love this movie. Michelle Obama would love that. No, What's yeah, I, I look, Kevin, you're being sarcastic. She would hate this. You know who would love this movie? Edgar. Uh, well, that's the other thing. That's the other thing. And that movie is after this, so I can't hold this. Men in Black, the following year, he's all about sugar water. It's the only <laughs> thing I can think about when he's piling Absolutely. that sugar on. I'm like, this is Edgar's bit. And when he does it, it's menacing. And it the works only, way better. Yes. The other thing it makes me think of is Elf, where the bit is he's a yeah. lunatic from a children's book. Like, right. who would yeah, eat good maple syrup right. on pasta? Right. 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 But combining, like, I love smoking and, and boning down with, I also love spoonfuls of sugar. I was going to say, like, smoking, <laughs> drinking, boning are all sort of in the same pyramid. And yes. then sugar is yeah. something in left field. Like, if it was just he's eating a lot, like the guy orders Uh, a lot of food. That's fine. He's a glutton. That's fine. That That tracks for me. Exactly. But he wants to fight. And water. (laughs) That's the vibe. The vibe of the early scenes, you're like, is he not even going to be charming? Like, is he just going to be completely bizarre? Right. And then after two weird scenes, then he sort of starts to be charming. I kept waiting for them to be like, oh, his wings run on sugar. That would have been cool. <laughs> like one of them breaks off and someone's like, oh, oh, it tastes like, like sugar. Like oh. sugar. <laughs> but they also explain that he smells like cookies, but to different yes. people, they think he smells like different things. Like I butterscotch. Guess he smells like whatever you like. You know, whatever the know. woman desires is what he smells like. Yeah. I do think there is kind of, uh, in, in the interminable last 10 or 12 minutes of this movie. Interminable. Interminable. There's that thing Angel where like. Angel pasta. William Angel Hurt. Angel pasta. <laughs> <laughs> and then Annie McDowell's asking for angel food cake. And they're like, this is a Dunkin' Donuts. We don't have angel food cake. <laughs> I, I think it's a Starbucks. It's an early right. Starbucks. You're right. they have a it's green, an early uh, Starbucks. Apron. Yes. You can You're see right. the logo. Right. Yes. Yeah. But then there's that thing where Pastorelli and Hurt meet at the bar and and Pastorelli is like, that was wild, right? And Hurt's like, didn't happen, didn't happen. Fundamentally didn't happen. Didn't happen. (laughs) I love that. And Pastorelli's like, how do you explain it? What happened to your jacket? Where were we for two weeks? Hurt's like, absolutely not. Didn't happen. I love you, wife. And then he says, the planet core. But then he says that thing of like, look, if angels exist, I'm going to step outside and you see the sneak preview of what he's describing that he steps off the L train. Oh, that that's he walks, so strange that he has the sudden instinct to turn the other way. Then a car gets a flat tire and it's the woman of his dreams. Yeah. And then the rest of the scene plays out at the bar. Then he gets on the train. You also have that moment where he's at the train station and there's the Michelangelo exhibit and it looks like yes, Michael, Angel. Michael Angel. Very you get cute. it. But I but didn't he, I, wait. I didn't get it. Actually, can you explain it to me? Sure. So the film is called Michael. Okay. Michael oh, is an angel. Oh. The words Michael and Angel are both contained in the name Michelangelo. But what does this have to do with turtles that like pizza? I just don't get it. Spelled very now, differently. Turtles. I wish issues. they had. 
Because Andy McDowell does like hold her little fingies up to the fingies of the angel. Yeah. And I was waiting for more like for her to say Michael Angel. And I want I did want her to say, oh, I did. Oh. <laughs> oh. Just like Griffin in the box office game. Oh, 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 oh. It's um, just weird. But but then he I gets off it. the train. Favorite he turns the, he turns the other way. The flat tire hits. It's two bearded men. He scoffs at the universe. How silly for me to believe. But right. then he sees Michael doing there a little Travolta dance, chain smoking with the jacket, yes. his classic semi mullet hairdo. What a hairdo! And his, he's his got angel. the Richard Lewis. <laughs> Kevin has changed his background to R- Ricky Schiff at the Italian restaurant. Pasta. Pasta. Uh, but it's like it's like a minute and a half of him following Michael until he literally bumps into Andy McDowell and then they fully admit that they're in love with each other and they want to get married. They want to get married. <laughs> and then you see Michael with Edith Bunker being like, yes. this was my toughest assignment. Yeah, look at me. I pulled it off. Right. And, it, and then they she, do a dance. They do a dance in the street, but is she supposed to also have been an angel or is he just hanging out with the ghost? Here's how I take it. And yeah. it's not like this is explained. Sure. She, his angel chits or whatever have been used up, but she is so great or whatever, like uh-huh. was part of his assignment in some way, that she is now like an angel in training and he's like... Only oh. along for the ride as like her mentor, her like you know, her like driving teacher. Essentially, okay. I, I mean, that's that kind of a sweet idea, but also it is weird for how much this movie is specifically about Michael, a very specific archangel who has such an epic story. How he essentially is revealed to just sort of be Clarabelle from <laughs> like It's a Wonderful Life, and he's just dealing with like very small human concerns and like. I like that line. I don't know, Kevin, if you want to speak. There's that line where he's like, you can't like mess with the fundamental nature of, of the world or something. Like, there's some line where he kind of kind of does some world building where he's like, you can do little mm-hmm. miracles. You can't do big stuff. It's basically like uh, Jesus logic with some of it where right. it's like, well, Jesus can do water to wine. He can do fishes and loaves. But listen, if you want to like turn back time or something, <laughs> sure, right. or like, or not like genie man. rules in Aladdin, I can't make yeah. someone fall in love. I can just set right. up the pieces. Right. He's he's like, you know, mostly I try and lead by example. Sure, I can do a little magic. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, it's just, but the movie, I maybe because Efron thinks it shouldn't be too like, I don't know, fantasy heavy or whatever, but like it doesn't really want to get into it. No, no. What, it, what do you, what is the most interesting thing about this to Nora? What is she, what does she love about this? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I don't, I can't figure it out. I mean, as you said, she loves journalists and I think maybe just the hook of it is people who write fake stories for a sensational tabloid who come mm-hmm. across a real miracle but it is not how they would imagine it to be. I think if you if you hear it described that way, you go, that sounds like a Nora Ephron movie. Sure. Okay. I have found an article by the great Rachel Handler on Vulture titled, okay. Andy McDowell Answers Every Question We Have About Michael. Thank fucking... So I'm, I'm going to see if, as we wrap up, I'm just going to see if there are any weird tidbits that she has about making Michael the okay. largely dismissed uh, Nora Ephron film. 
Um, all right. And uh, let's see. Uh, I was a fan of Nora Ephron. Loved the script. Thought it was magical. She was cast really early. She sang in her audition, which was crucial. Cool. Now, they didn't dub audition. over her voice. She does sing, and she has an okay, she has an Emma Stone yes. in La La Land quality voice. Yeah, it, she has a pretty totally good voice. She, for a she movie? says, like, yes. I don't think of myself as a singer, but I think I did a good job singing in yeah. the audition. Mm-hmm. Pumpkin, uh, cherry, apple. <laughs> uh, Travolta, a huge person, takes up the room, very generous, had his own cook and would always be offering to feed you. Wow. So it seems like kind of like, I don't know, big boisterous energy type, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, uh, do you remember if he was really eating the sugar? Probably sounds like something he would have done. He's that kind of actor. Right? So I love that's remember. his version of Tom Cruise being like, I really hung off an airplane. Is Travolta's <laughs> right. like, I really <laughs> ate that much sugar for Michael. Gang, we um, got to the most important question, though. Sorry to scoop you, David. It does say, do you remember the lyrics to the pie song? Wow. And she does say, I can sing the pie song, but I'm not going to do it. But I can do it. I've had people ask me to sing the pie song and I will sing the pie song if someone asks me on the street to sing the pie song, but I'm not going to stay here on the phone and sing the pie song, but I promise you, I can. Uh, that does sound, I can imagine exactly Andy McDowell answering that question. <laughs> oh, uh, we didn't talk see. about she Carla Gugino showing up for a hot second too. She looking great. Looking great. Joey Lauren looking Adams the too? same. Yes. Joey Lauren Adams. Yeah. She, Carla Gugino. Gugino. I always struggle yeah. with her last name. She's someone who really is unchanged, like in a yeah. sort of frightening way. Like here's another thing: it's, it's, it's scary. <laughs> I feel like yeah. people are always surprised by this, but when I'm asked this question, Carla Gugino is the actor career I would most want. Oh yeah, has worked with all kinds of great directors, memorable, well liked. Has just done everything. Has been in every type of genre, every size role, every size budget. Worked yes. with so many great yeah. people. She's always fucking good. She can be oh, in a yeah. family comedy or an action film or a drama. Do TV, do stage, do movies. And I also just feel like she is at the perfect level of like established but not famous enough where she becomes a celebrity over an actor. Right, right, right. She's got the perfect um, career, if you ask me. Some other, th- yeah, no, I agree with you. I love her. I'd love to see her in something right now. She rolls. Um, uh, Andy says Nora at the time she was directing was forced to be in touch with her masculine side. Was kind of intimidating. She's sort of talking about how Meryl said she was sort of an intimidating person to work with, and mm-hmm. Andy's like, I think it's sort of like a reverse sexism thing of like. She had to be tough because, you know, there was such a spotlight on a female director at that point. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, She, um, I don't know. She doesn't really, the the pie answer is the big She's not answering our big questions, which is, why why does this movie exist? (laughs) Okay, we have a break here. I have scrolled down and she does sing the pie song in the interview. Wow. (laughs) But like, she she does. But like, in general, her take seems to be like, I think it's a sweet movie and I think that's great. Like, you know, she's definitely not like, it's a weird one. You know, like she's not like just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how can you even tell? I mean, if you're, if you're an actor and that stuff, like how objective is Andy McDowell about like, now I think Groundhog Day worked because of these X factors. And I think Michael was a little off because of the cast. Like, right. Like it's impossible to be objective. Um, Why wouldn't you be? Now let's play the box office game for this movie. That was a big hit. 
All right, so this movie came out Christmas time, 96. And that makes sense because Sleepless in Seattle had been such a huge hit. It was a yeah. summer movie. Yeah. But this is an angel movie, mm-hmm. right? Like it's a it's a PG movie. <laughs> so it makes sense that the studio, which is what, New Line, I think? Uh, well, it was Turner and New Line released it. Right, yeah. right. Um, that they're like uh, Christmas. This is a Christmas family movie. And it's Travolta's like, having this blockbuster year. So it's number one. Good wow. on him. It opened to number one on t- December 27th. Very impressive. In my That's opinion. very impressive. Yeah. A- and it grosses $27 million over the holiday weekend. It makes 95 total. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, good. I can't Im- I, What do you think it costs? Uh, like 40? 40? Yeah. Yeah. So, right. Like, you know, I, I think it was like a very robust hit for them. Yes. Number two, Griffin. It's a movie we've discussed on the podcast. We've covered it with an episode. We have. Think Christmas 96, baby. What's it's Jerry Maguire. It's Jerry Maguire. Just That's trucking. Right. Jerry McFucking Guire. So Scientology is just owning the box office this weekend. <laughs> That's a fair a point. Year. Yeah. Do you think they're just like rubbing their hands together in the Christmas of 96? Yeah. They're like, we are everywhere. Number I three is for richer or poorer with Kirstie <laughs> Alley. <laughs> Is number that? four is a no. Beck biopic. <laughs> I'm trying to think of Scientologists. <laughs> Giovanni Ribisi. Swim fan with Eliza Dushku. Oh, yes. No, Erica Christensen, right? Erica, Erica Christensen. Yes. Oh, is gosh. she a Scientologist? The other way around. Yeah. Yes, she is. No Christensen is. Dushku is not. Yeah. Fair enough. That we know of. Um, mm-hmm. Number three, Griffin. Mm. Is it was it's a Thanksgiving release, so it's been out for five weeks. It's made a hundred and four million dollars. It's another family movie. So you'd say it's a grower, not a shower. Oh my god! Yeah, that's what I usually say about family movies. We usually say about family films, it's a grower, not. Well, you know what? Now I want to check its multiplier to see if it was a grower or a shower. I mean, it opened to thirty three. It's at one hundred four after five weeks. I'd say it was a bit of a shower. What does it end up at? What's the Sorry, final what? total? What's the final? Uh, the final Domestic total, total for this film was $136, $304 million worldwide. Wow. Is um, it, li- it live action or animated? Live action. Oh, but with an asterisk? But there's a tone to the way I said that. Yeah. Okay. Mm. What, what was the other thing you were about mm. to say about it? It was one of those things where I remember even as it, I was, what, 10 when it came out, I saw it in theaters with my family. Even as a kid, I knew like, oh, well, this casting is a fucking grand slam. Like, Was it Jumanji? Of course. No. Although, believe me, I was very excited for Jumanji. Yeah. So it really, it was like this actor playing this role was just money in the bank. Interesting. Correct. Actress. Oh, uh, is it 101 Dalmatians? That's right. Yeah. See, this is what's weird. You're saying this is like the difference of like three years between our ages. At at this age, it's a big deal. Have you guys seen the cut of 101 Dalmatians where Andy McDowell dubs over Glenn Close (laughs) as Cruella (laughs) DeVille? It's weird. I got to get those dogs. I want those dogs. I got to have that skin. Puppies. (laughs) Furry. Puppy. Slobber. (laughs) See, see the difference for me, David, is you were like, that slam dunk, Glenn Close as Cruella DeVille. And for me, 
in the following years, I was like, oh, it's nice to see Corella DeVille working. Like, this was my first impression <laughs> of Glenn Close. But, like, don't you think it's funny that me at 10 years old, and obviously I was a yeah. little nerd about movies, right. but even I knew through cultural osmosis, like, oh, well, Glenn Close famously great at playing, like, kind of scary people, like scary yes. ladies. Like, she's... That's funny. She, fatal Attraction, uh, Dangerous Liaison. Like, she is the lady for, like, to play, I like, mean, an iron lady. I remember feeling that way when I was, like, five years old, and I saw the V. <laughs> chess cover for Popeye. I was like, they're two for two. Robin and Duvall. Oh my God. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. Yeah. What a weird, we got to talk about that movie. All right, we got him. A Popeye. Right, okay. Yeah. 100, one question, Griff, you've seen Andre yes. One Dalmatians. I have. The remake. Does she die at the end? What happens to her at the end? Because in the animated film, it's really scary when she's driving, yeah. remember? And then the car goes over the bridge. And that that's is the last scary. You see of her. Oh, Very yeah. scary. No, she but goes I to jail remember, because there's a sequel. Right. 102 Dalmatians. Of course, right. I forgot there's a sequel, which, which I, I believe, also saw. I believe it starts with a jailbreak. Yeah, well, there you go. That's I awesome. remember that Gerard Depardieu is in it. Absolutely, he is. Yeah. In 101, does she at some point like fall in, not tar, but like, I feel like she kind of gets right. like tarred and feathered in a way. There's, yeah. a, there's a sliming, which I feel like was right. just absolutely paramount in the 90s for a kid's movie. It's like <laughs> right, someone's right. got to get slimed. Some gross substance has to fall out of a bucket and onto the You got to get gooped. You gotta get good. Paul Giamatti and Big Little, what's it called? Oh, Big, Big Little fat Liar. Big Fat Liar. Big fat fat liar. liar. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Frankie oh, Muniz. No, All right. No, no, you're Number four. Fred Wars Griffin. I'm um, no, I'm joking. I'm combining the two. I'm combining yeah, no, no, the he's, two. He's, he's going off the Fred the Wars. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, ben, number four at the box office. And I feel like for some reason, Griffin, we've discussed a lot of movies in this range because Mars mm. Attack is number eight. Wow. Uh, obviously, we've talked about Jerry Maguire. I feel like there's another movie coming up. Maybe like we've been in this area a lot. Number 96 four Holidays, movie. big time for a tours. It had been number one the previous week. Ben, okay. I'm sure you were there in theaters. If so it's not, a big were, drop. <laughs> big drop. Okay. I mean, it's actually only a 50% drop, but definitely front loaded. Is it a Steven Seagal film? No. I mean, I mm. just think that even at this age, Ben, you were like, I'm there. I don't know. Maybe you caught this on video. Action or comedy? Animated. Oh, animated. Oh, we've talked about this because it's so we weird have. that this came out at this time of year. It's so weird that it's a Christmas movie. Beavis and Butthead Take America. Oh, yeah, oh, of course. Yeah. Comes out the weekend yeah. before Christmas. That so is weird. So that weird. They were like, yeah. Jerry Maguire. I get it. Michael. I get it. Yeah. 101 Dalmatians. Absolutely. And then yeah. Beavis and Butthead do America, which is... Right, it's Do America. Yeah. Uh, uh -huh. And, <laughs> and the number five movie, which has been out for two weeks, has made $21 million, but is going to hold so extraordinarily well that it will make $103 million, despite opening wow. to only six. Is it a best picture play? Is it an Oscar play? No. But it's such a huge hit that there's a sequel the next year, even though it came out in December. Whoa. It's what one of those this? rare films where the sequel came out less than one year after the original. It's not Ace oh, Ventura. Like we were discussing. It's not a Jim Carrey. No. Mm -hmm. It's the revival of a genre. It's a crucial moment for a genre coming back. Oh, it's Scream. Oh. Scream. Oh. Right, where Scream 2 comes out like 11 months later. 
Scream Shaggy. 2 came out 11 months later. Yeah, it's crazy. Legendary performance from fellow Pasadena, California resident Shaggy. Oh. Like Zoinks, I'm the killer. Man, <laughs> them choosing Will Forte and Scoob over him is... It's rude. It's sucks. actually rude. I was about to say, like, this will come out later, but are we all pumped for Scoob? It's Scoob's opening day. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. Not. Oh, is that today? <gasps> oh, <laughs> I got to do the Scoob, the TikTok dance. That's a real <laughs> thing that's trending right now for some reason. Uh, here's what I'll say about Scoob. I am Wait. very excited for the fact that the existence of Scoob does not feel like it will prevent me from being able to sell my Scooby-Doo pitch one day. Hey, <sighs> Griffin, you're right. I have a Scooby-Doo pitch. It's going to come and go. Yes. I have a Scooby-Doo pitch that I will tell you, Kevin, when we stop recording, that David got angry at how good it is. It's so good. It's also just so, it's just devastatingly It's money in the bank. Obvious. It's, it's, it's money devastatingly <laughs> obvious. I'm not even yes. saying I'm some brilliant artist. No, you are brilliant, but it is also just the most commercial, like, oh, right. obvious pitch of yeah. all time. Wait, it's, is it, it they the take thing. down Harvey don't, Weinstein? Don't yeah, God damn and it. And it's called hashtag me, Scoob? God damn it, Kevin. What? Yes, that's my pitch. It's called me Scoob. I don't know. I will say, Griff, I don't know if you know this, but I assume you do. I'm told that the movie is heavy on like world building and universe, Hanna-Barbera universe shit. That yes. like Dick Dastardly is in it. And yes. the fucking... Dynama, Blue like, Falcon, Captain Caveman. Yeah, yeah. Like the, and the, Great the, like the Blue Falcon guy is like the lead character. Played by Mark Wahlberg. I, once Correct. again, I think all of this works in my favor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What? Because I just feel like people are going to be like, Absolutely no thanks. Please <laughs> right. try again. They were like, right, we like, want to do an animated cinematic universe. We want to treat it like Marvel and work as many different Hanna-Barbera characters into Scoob. And then from there, be able to make eight more films with different properties. Shared universes don't work. It's an right? origin story, but it's also a team up movie. Don't, no. don't try and cram a shared universe down my throat in like no. the first movie when I don't even know if I like them yet. No. Like, mm-hmm. right. And it's like, yeah, get out of here. My Scooby-Doo pitch is clean. And you know who else is clean? Kevin T. Porter, the cleanest guest. I I try to have good hygiene. I shower every day, even during this time. Uh, You look great. You sound great. You're one of the best in the biz. Hey. Uh, And people should listen to all your podcasts. Sure. Oh, if they want to, they can. They're allowed. They should. I insist. (laughs) Wait, they're allowed? I am sad that I never got David on uh, Gilmore Guys. I didn't know that she, you were such a big, oh, man, Gilmore, head. big Gilmore head. I feel sad about it whenever I hear your passing references <sighs> to ASP. Point. You should have put me on, on Gilmore Guys, and the world is worse off for it, obviously. But uh, I don't know. We'll figure it out. I know. It sucks. I do feel like the like all those shows did become a blank check about Amy Sherman Palladino, but except for like whatever fifteen episodes about fifteen movies, it's like three hundred something about all her. My weird favorite shows. thing, because <laughs> I am my favorite thing about Gilmore Gar- yeah. Guys um, was that the Atlantic and when I was working at the Atlantic wrote an article about you guys. I don't know if you remember that. I think they talked to you. Yes, Kevin O'Keefe. Kevin O'Keefe. Uh, yes. And the, the headline was the guys who love Gilmore Girls. Fine headline. And something went wrong with social. And so the Atlantic's social account, Twitter account, just tweeted the guys who love Gilmore Girls with no link and no further explanation. <laughs> and everyone was like, all right. I know about that. <laughs> it was such a weird moment. It was very That's funny. incredible. Um, that feels like, yeah, like a text bot or something. It's just, on, yeah, we on just on like, I love go that. on. That's amazing, though. <laughs> I'm no, listening. No photo, no, photo. no nothing. Uh, 
And that's and that's you with past guest friend of the show uh, Demi Adija Wiebe. So people should listen to that if they haven't oh, already. Oh, that's right. I know what a what a great man he is. One of the greats, and you're one of the greats. And thank you so much for being on the show, Kevin. Oh, my pleasure. I truly love you guys. Love the show. I think all four of you are, are terrific. Um, and uh, I'm, yeah. I'm very happy you and I got to hang out in person one time before that I became know. illegal. I know. And yeah. the the work you guys are doing on this podcast for people listening right now, looking for a sense of normalcy and comfort, it is essential to some people. So I'll be an audience surrogate and, and encourage you in that sense. That's nice it's of good you to say. Well, here. thank yeah. you very much. And I, I, I do plan to file my taxes this year as an <laughs> essential worker because you said that. Good. Now, I want all the blankies to go out to their balconies wherever they are. And the day <laughs> that this comes out, 815 Eastern Standard Time, mm-hmm. clang together pots and pans, and then shout out your favorite kinds of pie in honor of the Blank Check podcast. <laughs> and don't finish until you Kevin, hit 25 that's very, pies. that's very nice of you. That's I right. personally will be flying a jumbo jet. I'll just be buzzing Cincinnati that day, I've decided. <laughs> just going to give Cincinnati a fucking that's haircut yeah. in a Dreamliner. <laughs> but you're also going to be sky riding yeah all the but like but like. it'll immediately just start to dissolve into the air so it'll just look like mush <laughs> like that happened in front over my neighborhood Con? you know Con? someone sky wrote like yeah. thank you healthcare workers it just immediately it looked like blah 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 you know just i don't whatever yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, skywriting is one person. of the most laborious things for the least payoff that we can do absolutely no it just says a text it says who barb I <laughs> I love it. Uh, uh, well, that's been our episode on Michael, a movie that very much exists. Uh, tune in for next week when Nora does what she always does. She rebounds so fucking hard with You've Got Mail. Rebounds right back. Oh. Absolutely insane. And now Kevin has changed his background various, to a picture of Laura Dern crying. Like, he's just speed rounding different Laura Dern. <laughs> it's a cavalcade. Oh, there's photos. Lady Gaga. She wants to get a look at us. Given the smile. Sort of sonic. <laughs> Mario Maker and Sonic oh, I fucking like that. I Vin like Diesel, that. Tom Hanks, <laughs> Mr. Bean. Man, Kevin's rolling deep on Guys. good Zoom backgrounds. Here's another plug. Why don't you Zoom Kevin? Oh, you get a lot of really good visual. Oh, this, this is good because it looks like this is the row. You. Oh, yeah. It's actually, it's actually hand out. <laughs> He's actually like, <laughs> this is a super sized. I've Tom seen Cruise that picture before. The the, oh, of course, uh, Bradley Cooper's the elephant man, where he just makes a funny face. Yeah, the picture where they give the I guess Scientology gave Tom Cruise like a medal or something, and he gives this speech. It looks like he's running yes. for president of the Olympics. Like it's so weird. He has this yes. comically large medal around like. his neck. Guys, I all need right, to pee right, so right. badly. So th- thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to Ange Fricuda for co-producing this show. Rachel Jacobs for editing help. Thanks to Lee Montgomery for our theme song. Joe Bowen and Pat Rounds for our artwork. Go to blankies.red.com for some real nerdy shit. And Patreon.com. It's a Kendall uh, Roy rapping yep. is now the background. Uh, Patreon.com backslash blank check for uh, blank check special features. Uh, and as always... Uh, I'm going to describe the next background. <laughs> it is Ellen DeGeneres. What better way to end the episode? Famous fictional character, nice Ellen. <laughs> nice Ellen, my favorite fictional character. And the quote underneath it is the message we should all take with us, because we should live how Ellen lives. Be kind to one another.
Thank you. Uh, Griffin, go pee. I just want to say one thing to you, Kevin, as the CEO of Quibi. Um, I'm going to order you just switching up Zoom backgrounds for six minutes as a new show on Quibi. Go for Kevin. Okay. okay. You guys ready Who's for this? <laughs> oh, that's my girlfriend. Ben's girlfriend. <laughs> oh, I thought it was like, I don't know, like a cosplay thing or something. Humble Brown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could be. Um, what hey. if Ben's girlfriend was actually like a Mrs. Doubtfire? <laughs> that w- I would love that. Ben hold on one second i'm gonna go get wait can i can i can i tell you a fun good gossip celebrity thing please because you said mrs doubtfire and now that we're recording yeah well yeah i'm sorry this won't make it into the episode this won't make this will be real quick but my my friend nick is dating karen gillen and we were playing uh, code names over Zoom the other night she was she only played for a little bit and then she went into the other room to watch x factor and the whole time she was watching it, she laughed like Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> She's like, ooh, hoo, hoo, at, at all the funny contestants on X Factor. It was very sweet. 